0: You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stevings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 255 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stevings, and joining me in the PTUK studios this week, as always, is my co-host Matt Smith. Hello. How are you, Matt? <laughs> Um, I'm <laughs> making a mondo <laughs> laugh already. Uh, yes, I
1: am. I am absolutely fine. Thank you very much. I Good. A, it's been a bit stressful. I'm not going to lie. I know. I'm not going to lie. But we have had the most awesome. I tell you what, we've <laughs> had such
0: a awesome meal. Yeah. matt uh, from mama smith she has cooked up a storm in oh, the kitchen yes, absolutely so we had yeah. uh oh, i'm trying to quit your stuff now actually yeah, it was it was a steak the, and the ale dessert pie, the dessert was, was just oh, destroyed was me yeah yeah right oh, but enough about talk that. about food right yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll also get, we'll, we'll get emails don't and, uh, don't, <laughs> don't talk about food also joining us this week he's back he's our other awesome co-host of the show and uh, he's the one who knows everything there is to know about the gray stuff it's armando
2: I don't know if I would actually say that, but uh, <laughs> hey, everybody, happy Friday night. I'm happy to be back in the UK this week, actually.
1: Uh, dude, you are allowed to be offended by him, call- by him calling it grey stuff, by the way. That is allowed. <laughs>
2: it's gray, uh, it is grey, though. It is grey. It's not. I put don't on, know that on. I would want to break tradition, so right. we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> okay.
1: How- yes, you'll get e- emails from Captain Al if you, if you change the name, I suspect. <laughs> yeah.
0: How are things with you, Armando? Obviously, you, you've been on location for a little while, but you are back in the UK.
2: That's right, yeah, I came back, I've been uh, spending the week back here in the UK, and man, we've had some weather, so zero flying, zero thoughts of flying, it's just been, uh, I don't know, I don't know if we'll talk about it later, but it's, it's about 40 knot winds almost every day this week,
1: so. <laughs> You're going to have to ease up on the Brussels sprouts, it's no good. Uh, <laughs> say that, that's, that's nothing
0: That's nothing for a 172 or 150, lot. Like. Right, <laughs> if, if you say so. <laughs> if you yeah. like flying backwards. Right, okay, good, yeah. 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 So also joining us, you may have seen uh, on my camera sitting beside me uh, here <laughs> to my left, or it's probably to the right as you're looking at the screen. Yep. Uh, he's, he's, well, he's, he's definitely come a, he's come a long way in more yeah. ways than one because he's come a long way in regards to flying, but he's also come a long way in regards to distance to join us all the way here in the PTUK studios this week. It's
1: Stephen Ivey. Hello, everybody oh hello i broke oh, something oh. hang
0: on uh we need to bring your microphone
3: oh, we, need to bring your microphone we should closer. have tested
1: this before we started no. we shouldn't we? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> ever ever the professional okay try that again there you go try that now is that better that's much better thank you
4: very much yes we can hear you now <laughs> <laughs> sorry and, uh, hey how are you stephen uh I- i'm doing great doing yeah. great just a little tired uh from all the traveling and everything and uh
0: recovering from
4: walking around from Rome. i did something to my ankle so that's been oh, okay. very enjoyable, but other than that, been doing great.
0: Very- so you're doing a bit of a European kind of tour, as such.
3: Tour, you know? vacation, something yeah. like that. I, I managed a week off, and um, it wanted to uh, go to Rome, so I decided I was going to go there, and uh, also take the time to come up here and visit you guys here in uh, the UK.
0: And I can't believe I, tell you, I was talking to Armando on the way here because I, I picked Armando up in the, of course, Tristar van. And, Armando. Uh, Oh, sorry, sorry. Stephen and <laughs> the Tri Star The look
1: of and, panic on, on Armando's and, face there for a minute is like, I haven't been in I, the Tri
0: what Well, actually, on? actually, this is a shock for Armando because he's obviously used to this part of the UK, but you're not used to this part of the UK, uh, uh, and we, as you know, we live in the. Well, arse our end of nowhere. Our end of, of, of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <yeah. laughs> uh, so, what are your views on the East Anglia region?
3: It's very scenic very (laughs) scenic very (laughs) scenic very uh, midwest fields everywhere nice
1: shrubbery everyone's driving on the wrong side of the road (gasps) Uh, no no (laughs) look at (laughs) it now I don't know What, what are your what are your thoughts your thoughts on this Armando are we on the
2: wrong side of the road well, you know what makes it difficult. You you can never really make an opinion because I go back and forth between Europe, uh, the UK, and the US so much that I can never just keep it straight at all. So, <laughs> kind of fair. quite literally, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody told me cool. once, just put yourself in the middle of the road, in the center of the road. <laughs> no, I'm not sure
1: that works. No, no, I don't. Go, I don't want to see that. No, that's asking for
4: a car crash. That is. I'm, I'm guessing
0: you've not you've stayed away from uh, motor vehicles since you've been uh here.
4: Yeah, I, I have never driven yeah. in the Europe or UK. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I shouldn't. I wouldn't recommend yeah. it. Stay clear. Uh, <laughs> Flying's fine. Right. Yeah, Driving's easy. right.
1: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, as, you, as you'd know, if, you, um, if if the weather was nice tomorrow, we were obviously going to you know have a, a trip out with the, uh, with Go the and Cubs. To East Anglia with, from the um, air, but, yeah. uh, but uh, as I,
1: I fear that may have to be put on hold yeah. for another time. And <laughs> on
0: the note of strong winds, you may have noticed that we are missing a co-host this evening, yes. because unfortunately, due to um, technical issues, uh, Neville Bounds will not be with us tonight. But he's, um, he's probably going to be watching at some point, oh, no, possibly no. during the show, just to check where we're here behaving things right and stuff so uh i I know uh, i'm going to get told off for having started 15 15 seconds seconds late yeah i know that much but nev nev (laughs) sends all his regards to everyone who has joined us and to those who have joined us in the chat room good evening to you all all the usual family members in the chat room tonight so uh hello to you all it's good to see you all in the uh, chat room on this friday evening it is the 8th of February and uh, just coming up to 6 minutes past 7 on this evening and we've got loads of stuff to get through tonight on the show, loads of news stories to uh, to go through on the show this week and we've also got uh, a little special piece of audio feedback sent in by listener Jan Hubner uh, who's telling us all about his experiences with the A320 and A321 with American Airlines we've got that bit there we've also got uh, the a military segment this week brought to you by Armando this week as always he's choos- chosen all the stories for the military segment this week and uh, yeah and we've also going to have obviously with our guest here Stephen. we're going to have a chat with Stephen and uh, see how things have been going uh, uh, with you in regards to flying and all the uh, ins and outs I think
1: it's safe to say
0: quite a lot has happened since yes. you were last on <laughs> the show because <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. Since laughs> we, <laughs> cause we yeah. I think we last saw you in Pittsburgh I last saw you in Pittsburgh yeah, yeah. No, he's I been on the show yeah, since then. Yeah. You know, he's I mean, been on the show in the flesh. In the flesh, In Pittsburgh, yeah, so. yeah. But uh, yeah, welcome, well, I mean, welcome into the studio. Welcome to <laughs> the studio, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, you had no idea how horrendous this is, did you? <laughs> 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 I actually, trying to get this silly thing on the air.
3: It, 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 it's a lot more work than I thought. For sure, <laughs> yeah. a lot more work. All part of the fun.
0: So we are going to start the show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt, I am. Yes, yes. If you're ready, Armando, ready to go. Stephen, let's go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the independent.co.uk and uh, unfortunately it's about an airline that we all know and love here in the UK and I think it's pretty uh, well known in Europe, it's Thomas Cook. And uh, Thomas Cook puts their in-house airline up for sale after increased losses. One of the UK's biggest holiday firms is seeking a buy for its airline, Thomas Cook, which has just announced uh, increased first quarter losses, says it's, it will consider all options for its flying business to enhance value to shareholders and intensify our strategic focus. The tour operator stressed that flights will continue as normal and that any deal will require a buyer to provide the same level of carrying capacity for package holidays. The airline operates in the UK, uh, the Nordic Nations and Germany, where it uses the Condor brand uh, it's a mid-sized carrier with 103 aircraft in the fleet flying around 20 million customers a year to 120 destinations mostly in europe with long-haul operations particularly across the atlantic unlike other airlines and of a similar scale thomas cook airlines is in reasonably good health It made a profit per passenger of over six pound uh, in the most recent full financial year uh, was that six pound per passenger uh, just under half of its capacity is currently used by the tour operator arm for providing seat uh, for package holiday customers, uh, the remainder is sold to other holiday firms or direct to travellers. The sale would help Thomas Cook reduce its debt currently at £1.59 billion and accelerate its strategy, uh, strategy of different, uh, differentiation by opening exclusive hotels. Uh, this summer will, it will open 20 brand new hotels, and Thomas Cook's underlying loss for the first quarter, uh, uh, covering October to December, rose by £14 million to £60 million. Pounds. Uh, strong demand for Tur- uh, Turkey, Egypt and Tunisia is offsetting weaker demand for Spain. F- Peter Frankhauser, Thomas Cook's chief executive, said as expected, the knock-on effect from prolonged summer heat waves and high prices in the Canaries have impacted customer demand for the winter sun. Bookings for summer 2019 reflect some customers uncertainty particularly in the UK and our decision to reduce capacity which will both mitigate risk to our tour operator business and help our airline consolidate the strong growth achieved last year. Bookings for the summer 2019 with Thomas Cook are 12% down reflecting a capacity cut aimed at reducing exposure and shoring up prices which are 4% higher overall. It's a bit of a shame. Thomas Cook have been around for a long while now, and as it says, they have their um, armed Condor part of, uh, which is obviously based in Germany, which flies out. But I think uh, it's safe to say around Europe, especially in Turkey and Spanish islands, and that Thomas Cook are quite busy because they do obviously have the package tour operated deals where they have the whole all-in-one package flight and hotel. But um, yeah, they had a, a bit of a refresh actually not so long ago. Thomas Cook and um, did they? They, yeah, a um, bit of a refresh.
5: Merge
3: with somebody else in the UK as well, or did they buy somebody else. Uh, two, did. Yeah, Tui yeah, two
0: moved. That's yeah, it. Thomas Cook, um, a sim- Thomas Cook of, of a similar kind of uh, base, aren't they? Really, in regards to ho- holidays and stuff, they do a kind I of. I love how thing. you're looking
1: at me as if I would know the answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> if, uh, uh,
0: Armando, t- uh, you must have probably seen the Condor brand of this where you've been recently, possibly.
2: Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, Flying in and out of different airports in Germany, I, you know, and I, I never actually knew that. Uh, I didn't know that they were part of the sort of Thomas Cook family um, there. You guys have a lot of airlines over here, I, right? You know, it's hard to keep up with them every once in, or, or not every once in a while, but it's hard to keep up with them and, and who's who and who's based where and yeah, you guys, you guys always amaze me every week with your uh, knowledge of the airlines out here in Europe.
5: Yeah, yeah it's,
1: it's weird, isn't it? I suppose we're, we're such a so even here in the UK. You think how many airlines fly into and out of here. I mean, re- really, I mean, mm. it, it's a we ought to be small fry in comparison to to, to the US, to the US. Yeah. But uh, and yet we seem to have more low cost carriers than than right. than anyone. Or let me rephrase I mean, that: we have access,
2: perhaps, to more
0: choices. Uh, yeah, choices. Choices. Yes, we have a yeah. lot of
2: airlines in the US, but as Stephen can, you know, probably. Attest to it. They're usually flying on some under somebody else's,
4: you know, umbrella. umbrella. Yeah, yeah. A lot of sub carriers. Yeah. Oh dear.
0: So moving on to the next story, and uh, the next story is for you, Matt. And uh, it's one of those stories where, well, Ryanair have kind of um, they don't like, they just don't want to let the customers go. Right. But...
1: <laughs> okay, it's because they haven't got many left. That's probably why. So this is on the Independent again, and the headline is. Ryanair passengers stranded on aircraft for six hours. <laughs> Almost 190 Ryanair passengers were left stranded on the tarmac in Prague uh, with no food or water due to bad weather. Flight FR 2767 from Prague to Madrid was grounded on the morning of the 3rd of February with 189 passengers on board, reports the Sun. Uh, it, see, this is this is a phenomenon that, that really annoys me. Sorry, it's like, you know, February with 189 passengers on board reports The Sun newspaper. I'm reading this on The Independent. Hmm. (laughs) No, just me. Okay, a snowstorm in Prague was causing delays with Prague Airport warning that some flights will be affected by bad weather conditions. Passengers on board the aircraft were kept on the tarpac for around about six hours, local media reported. One passenger wrote on Twitter that they had been kidnapped on board for almost seven Hours, According to local media, the passengers spent the night at an airport hotel and were due to depart early the next morning. But one passenger tweeted a video of the plane still on the tarmac at 10.44 a.m. Another tweeted a photo of staff clearing the snow from the plane's engine. That's always a comforting sight. Uh, (laughs) And uh, a statement from Ryanair said that snow at Prague Airport and slow airport de-icing services caused a number of delays on Sunday, the 3rd of February, including this flight to Madrid. Crew opened the bars on board and served refreshments, but the flight was regrettably canceled (laughs) as the crew went out of hours. All customers were provided with hotel accommodation and boarded a replacement flight, which departed to Madrid the following day. We sincerely apologize to all affected customers. The affected passengers finally touched down in Madrid more than 24 hours after they were due to arrive. This morning Ryanair announced that one in ten flights were delayed in January, a slight dip from January 2018. I can't help but feel, perhaps I'm in a minority here, but I can't help but feel this is a bit of a non-story. Oh
0: no, it's definitely a story, but what I was going to say, Stephen, I mean, you know, you fly commercially passengers in the US and I'm pretty sure that given the choice to fly an aircraft with its wings covered in ice and snow or an aircraft that had been de-iced, I'm guessing you're going to want to fly an aircraft with no ice on the wings and snow. I would
3: most definitely prefer the one without any ice or snow on the wings. Um, (laughs) It's generally not a good thing. You definitely can't lift off the ground without (laughs) on the wings. It's very heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. I know the other week I was coming back from Chicago and it took us four hours to de ice just because of the weather. Because, you know, they had that tropical, not tropical vortex, polar vortex. Polar, polar
1: vortex. And, yeah. and, you know, and they
3: couldn't de ice the plane quick enough because it was just refreezing. Freezing
1: as fast as it Wow. Yeah. Gosh. Very
0: bad. I mean, to be fair, there'd be worse, could be worse places you could be stranded for six hours. I mean, they could have been sat in the tarmac outside the aircraft. Um, you well, know, in, that. in the snow, yeah, very
1: true. That, that there is that to
3: it. Would have made yeah. for
0: good snowball fights and stuff, I suppose. But, but um,
1: do, do they have the same rule
3: over here? For you can only be on the aircraft for, for up to three hours before you have to be allowed to get
0: back off. You know, like they do in the states. I don't think or... we have that here, actually, Armando.
2: Yeah. So I, I think it depends per country, right? So if this was in Prague, I don't the the uh, often these airports especially the Ryanair and some of the old, low cost carriers that they go to there's only going to be about three gates and if there's already a bunch of people backed up in there they've already cleared customs they they have to make a decision whether to you know send them back inside um or keep them out on the on the airplane because inside is full so i don't, I don't think a lot of these countries have the the same rules that we do in the u s uh stephen
4: okay. Yeah, it definitely sounds a lot more complicated
2: than in the States, for sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate that this is a Ryanair story. I think it just happened to happen to, to Ryanair. To, uh, yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. to do with Ryanair, yeah. it's just the <laughs> snow and the airplanes. Just...
1: Well, that, that's kind of where I was going really when, when I'm sort of suggesting that it's a bit of a non-story. Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's essentially, um, you know, it's a story that was printed originally by The Sun and picked up by The Independent. <laughs> I think they're quoting The Sun because if there mm. an, an, any inaccuracy, then they'll go after The Sun rather than The Independent. It's a bit of a cop-out, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is, is it just me that... Just trying just, to rub some dirt on Yeah, absolutely. And it's got nothing to do with, with them at all.
0: So, moving on to the next story, because Nev's uh, unfortunately not here. I'm going um, to step in and, and take over for you. Nev. I know. Yeah. Try and give some, some support some, to the BA. Right. So, the next story on... Uh, Just because you're flying with them in honestly. I know. Honestly. The next story on the independent.co.uk, blimey, they're getting a good hammering this week, is uh, a BA story, obviously, and it's British Airways Terminal at uh, New York Jav Airport to close. Oh, dear. Oh, cool. So British Airways is to leave its own terminal at New York JFK Airport and move in with its alliance partner, American Airlines. The move from Terminal 7 to Terminal 8 will take place in 2022. BA is the only non-US airline to have a terminal at New York's Premier Airport. It uh, o- has occupied uh, Terminal 7 for decades, including through the Concorde era. It is the main tenant, but shares the terminal with its sister airline, Iberia, and eight other airlines. The move to Terminal 8 will allow Terminal 7 to be demolished to accommodate a much expanded presence for the hometown airline JetBlue. BA and the airport owner, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, are investing £250 million to recreate and customise uh, Terminal 8 with additional stands, improved baggage systems and new lounges. Yet British Airways is to pump another £52 million into the existing facility to see it through the next three years to provide brand new lounges for First and Club World customers and an upgraded customer experience for all customers, including Nebel Bounds. <laughs> BA's chairman and chief executive, right. Alex Cruz, said that we look forward to working with the Port Authority and American Airlines to continue building a world-class transatlantic travel experience in our new home from 2022. The move will to make uh, connections easier between BA's transatlantic services and American Airlines domestic links. Some business passengers will welcome the move because it will allow them to switch easily between BA and American Airlines without changing terminals. A passenger who misses the 1025 American Airlines departure to Heathrow and who wants to catch the 1115 British Airways flight must change terminals. BA's rival Virgin Atlantic is already co-sited with its partner Delta in JFK's Terminal 4. Also at New York's JFK, Air France has inaugurated a beauty treatment centre in its Terminal 1. Lounge and first and business class passengers will be able to enjoy two private beauty booths with a massage table for the longer treatments, Ew. 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 like in a real beauty institute.
5: Well,
1: there we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's safe to
0: say that obviously, when uh, when Nev goes obviously on his uh, jaunts over to JFK, that uh, he'll have a. A nice new lounge to, uh, to use, I suppose. I, I,
1: he'll be very excited, I'm quite sure.
0: You, did you fly to JFK when you went to... No, no, we States? went
1: into um, Newark. Oh, right, okay, Newark, yeah, no, yeah, we flew into Newark, and I have to say uh, that our experience at Newark was was really good.
0: Have you flown into JFK, Stephen? I,
1: I
3: have actually been to that terminal building uh, back when I was a flight attendant working uh, United Express. That's where they parked on the other side of where the BA gates were. Okay, And... Um, that was back in 2011, and even then, the terminal was a little dated. Mm. Um, just not enough room to walk. It was really tight quarters and everything. Um, it, it was definitely meant for the Concorde. I think it was kind of retrofitted to that, and you could tell that on the backside where the Concorde lounge used to be and all that, it was kind of fitted for that and
0: all that. But yeah. you, That's not an airport you've flown into then personally? I, I, I have not, not with not, Acme Jr. No, no. I haven't flown to no. uh
3: any New York airport, and if I can avoid that for the longest time <laughs> period I will be completely for the happy with be it. Happy. Yeah, yes,
2: it be Wimp. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. So
0: moving on to the next story, Armando. Uh
2: yeah, this is from uh the BBC News. So uh, we're talking good about R. Uh, R. T. R. T. Yeah, T. right. We're yes. we're we're back. Uh yes. Germania airline files for bankruptcy unfortunately Mm. Um, so the budget airline germania has filed for bankruptcy and cancelled all of its flights with immediate effect the berlin-based airline which flew to destinations across europe africa and the middle east transported more than four million passengers per year it has blamed rising fuel prices and currency fluctuations as two factors uh the managing director karsten Balk. Said we ultimately failed to successfully complete our financing efforts to meet short-term liquidity needs. We very much regret that, and as a consequence, we had no choice but to file for bankruptcy. Uh, the company has said that passengers who had booked flights as part of a package should contact their tour operator and make different arrangements, but added that people who booked directly with them were not entitled to a replacement flight. Oh wow! This is. Yeah, and I think we've seen this a couple of times with some of the airlines in the past 12 months going under, right? It
3: it certainly seems like a reoccurring theme over here, these low-cost budget airlines kind of going belly-up. I don't know if it's just too much competition, or...
1: Yeah, I don't know, it's a bit of a funny one, isn't it, because it... it, it It's a loss for us, because
0: they flew into Norwich. Into and out of Norwich, yeah, Yeah.
4: absolutely,
1: one of the few that, that still did, to be fair.
0: It's a shame. Um, They used, funnily enough, their flight path into Norwich. Germania always seemed to be one of the few airlines who used to have this... Weird thing of flying over here about four thousand feet on the approach into Norwich, <laughs> <laughs> whereas the other another another the <laughs> other airlines never used to do that, which is yeah. quite good because you got to see the aircraft up quite close. It's always nice, but uh, no Germania. It's a shame they've been around a, uh, a while, and um, as I said, they're, they're a popular airline. I haven't personally flown on them, but um, I've had a few friends who have flown on Germania and said that um, the surplus was good. So, but it's always sad to see the airlines go. So, what were they usually disappear.
1: flying? What what was what was their, their plane of choice?
0: Uh, they had uh, the 700 series, 737s. Oh, okay. Uh, they also also had, as a picture shows on here, the 321. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 321. <laughs> uh, I think they had some 320s as well, if I'm right. But um, yeah, it's a shame, especially for the staff, because you know, not yeah. only is it it bad for obviously customers, it's also bad. You've got to remember the staff, the pilots, the flight crew, and uh, everyone who was, uh, you know, had had the part to play within the airline. Yeah. So sad. Some, oh, Armando, you going to say something? No, and uh, moving on to the next story. So, um, (laughs) Stephen, the next story for you, which is on the NJ.com website. It's a a United story.
3: Oh, it's a United story. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, let's see. Uh, United Airlines will woo high fare passengers by retrofitting more than 100 airplanes to add more premium seats on key routes. The airline also plans to start using a new 50-seat jet with mostly premium uh, seats on some key business travel routes. United announced that the moves Wednesday that they are part of an industry trend to give more space, better service to high-paying passengers who account for a disproportionate share. Is that disproportionate?
1: Correct. Yes. Oh, okay,
3: disproportionate share of the airline revenue. Uh, Andrew. Rokella, the airline's chief commercial officer, said executives decide that United has a shortage of business seats into the premium markets, and this fixed that problem. Um, Henry Hartervelt, an airline analyst at Atmosphere Research, said the United's announcement was a bold challenge to Delta Airlines, the acknowledged frontrunner among the nation's top three carriers. For its on time performance and strong profit margins. This is big news. They are taking direct aim at Delta and its strength with the premium travelers. United will retrofit 21 of its Boeing 767 300 ER jets starting in the next several weeks. It will reduce seats from 214 to 167 by shrinking the economy section while growing um, from 30 to 46 business class seats and adding 22. Premium seats. The plane will first fly between United's hub in Newark and London. The airline also plans to add a few more seat first-class seats to its Airbus three nineteen and three twenty planes by the end of the year, and it hopes to begin flying new fifty-seat Bombardier CRJ five fifty jets. Bombardier. Oh Thank Sorry. you. <laughs> between Chicago. I haven't said that for so long. Sorry. <laughs> it's like um, Tourette's. Sorry. Um, (coughs) Carry on. Uh, Jets between Chicago and smaller markets with many business travelers such as um, Northwest Arkansas, the home of Walmart, and federal regulators have not yet certified the plane. Um, Small 50-seat planes are notorious for being cramped, unpopular with many travelers. (laughs) Pilots. Um, (laughs) (laughs) New small planes, 18... uh, feet longer than the plane that it currently uses will have 10 business seats, 20, 20 economy plus seats and 20 regular seats by making these 50 seat jets more comfortable. United has a good chance of attracting more business and frequent flyers said, uh, vote, the analyst. Well, um, it looks like United is trying to compete with some of its uh, competition in Chicago. Um, I'm not as sure about the move on the mainline jets, but I, uh, personally, talking about this new 50-seat jet, it's not a new jet. So, this CRJ 550 is the current CRJ 700, which holds, uh, I believe it's 65 or 70 in the current configuration at United, and they're going to um, retrofit it to where it just has uh, 50 seats now. So... Um, I saw on another article where they were showing the configuration. So if anyone's ever been on a CRJ 700 in the States, usually United, you have the galley, a dividing wall, and then the cabin. So now you're going to have a galley on both sides with a self-service snack-type thing and drink station, and then a closet to store your luggage, and then there's going to be two more closets that's going to divide business Hmm. And the economy cabin, so you don't have to violate check your bag anymore. You can just bring it on the airplane and throw it in the closet and then sit down. But um, the, I believe they are right in saying that this is going to help them out tremendously. Um, I know, um, for instance, on the Denver or, 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 or Chicago, Colorado Springs, they fly a CRJ under which is just fifty seats, no business, and then American flies a CRJ seven with a business cabin and a little bit more room in the back. So. It's definitely gonna be a slight game changer i think yeah. in how they
0: are you are you a united best. fan armando
2: uh i don't get to fly united very much um uh, most of my flights are on american delta and they're you know sort of ba uh, virgin um but i was you know as stephen was reading that i was looking up some of the prices from uh i just put in newark to lax you know and a, and a uh economy class ticket just at a random time it was
4: 881
2: dollars cool. oh, but the <laughs> wow. premier class ticket was seventeen uh, hundred 1700 for the same time at the same flight so you can see you know when the airlines are looking at how many seats in each class are we going to put in they're they're doing that math you know that passenger seat miles, they're they're doing that math as to what's going to be the most uh, profitable for them, and if if it means taking out three rows of economy and putting in more premium businesses will pay will pay it yeah. most of us won 't but a but a company will I um,
0: mean, you got you guys will know better than what we do here in the u k but is in the u k we 've got a lot of airlines, as we said earlier, all competing with lowering prices, lower prices, and trying to beat each other in the u s do you find there is a big difference between airline a and airline b with price or are the prices all pretty much the same
4: i would say they're almost identical on certain routes i, th- I think you it's a little bit location bias too i know um i live in atlanta so you know you're going to fly delta anywhere because that's you know all there is but if you are looking at like competing markets like going to atlanta to chicago um you can see the prices there maybe be one or two dollar difference between them but if you're, for instance, going to go to Atlanta to somewhere in uh, the south where um, it's a direct flight, it could be um, upwards of three dollars more or you can pay $200 less and oh. then go through Charlotte or Chicago to go to the same place. So it's very location-biased as far as fares and everything. Ouch. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'll agree with Stephen on that one. There's there's not, not a lot of difference in most of the major airlines.
0: Because like I say, in the UK, we you know, you've got the choice with like the low cost cats such as easyjet, Ryanair that we we talk about all the time and and jet2 another another big carrier here in the UK and the prices do fluctuate a lot between them you you can save yourself 100, 200 pounds on the same route with a different airline
3: yeah, but i think a lot of you they're competing on like these short international mm. markets y'all don't have like a domestic market per se cuz i mean you're not going to fly london to birmingham or london to Liverpool because you could take the
0: train and it's so much cheaper, right? Well, uh, actually, it is cheaper sometimes, believe it or not, to fly. Yeah. Really? I kid you yeah. not. Oh. Some of the flight prices now in the UK if you search to go from you know we're in the east east, east of England here, but if we go to London Stansted, which is only an hour and a half drive from here as you as you know. Um you know, you can sometimes it's cheaper to to drive to Stansted and get a flight from Stansted to London uh, to Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh uh-huh. yes. It's cheaper to get a flight than it is to drive or get a train.
1: Oh, okay. There was a sto- there was a story not that long ago if my memory serves, but it was actually I think um, somebody wanted to go um, <laughs>
0: Oh that was yeah. Oh was it was it so <laughs>
1: wanted to go and it was it was a crazy it was something like wanting to go to Edinburgh and they lived down south down or something south, silly, yeah. And it was actually cheaper for them to go via somewhere stupid like Rome.
5: Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, something like it, that. Yeah. It was actually
1: cheaper to yeah. fly than it was to get on the train and go to go to Edinburgh. Uh, that is the that is the frankly that is the problem here in the UK. I mean, it, yeah. it, it is the you know the. Training. And I think
0: that's the beauty with the with websites like Skyscanner, yeah. you know, where you can type in. I mean, there's other websites, but Skyscanner is the one I normally look at. Uh, you can go on, type a, a destination, location, and, and to fly from at a time, and it will give you bombard you with a choice mm. of prices with various airlines. yeah and, yeah i don't want to belabor this
2: story too much longer but this is this kind of goes back to the last story about the jfk terminal and uh, ba and american airlines so if there's not much price difference i i despise connecting in jfk but if i know that <laughs> have an easier yeah. connect so they you know mm. in that article there was they talk about delta and virgin that that is a terrible you need three hours to move terminals if you're going into a uh you know, a regional airline. After that, is that is that just because of the size of the airport, or no, it, no? It's it, well. Sometimes it is the size of the airport, but it, specifically in JFK, you have to switch terminals, which it means you have to leave the terminal, go back through security, come back in, um, and you have to take a a bus anyways between two two different parts in that terminal. So, if there's not much of a price difference, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something like an airline that has an easier connection to make my trip a little bit easier. Um, So yeah, yeah, those those little things like the terminal upgrades and and, you know, getting co-located with your code share. uh, I think it does make a difference for a lot of people.
0: Amiga, welcome into the chat room. A name I haven't seen before, Matt. Aspire Pilot Ooh. Not seen that name in the chat room So hello Aspire uh, Pilot Pilot, uh, yeah, where, right. Whereabouts are you in the world? That's the we, we do worst know.
1: Somerset accent I've ever heard in my oh, entire life well. What was that all about?
0: I don't know <laughs> It's that meal. Oh. I'm, I'm, the, the steak and ale pie that we had for tea tonight had so much ale in it. it, it was, right. You
1: know. Okay. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can't
0: drive home. Can't drive home. No. <laughs> no, so doesn't. moving on to the next story, and this one is on ttgmedia.com. dot com. And I'm sorry. Uh, what? Ttg Media. Right.
1: <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's a
0: website that I go to for all our stories.
1: Is it? And right. the headline it makes it the really independent. I'll give oh you that. Uh, no.
0: <laughs> and the headline, uh, well, it's the B word. EasyJet reveals full extent of Brexit oh, preparations. Do not do here. Do this do is do not do. fair, honestly. So EasyJet <laughs> has revealed the full extent of its efforts to ensure it's able to continue flying to and from the EU after. Brexit, and the in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Blimey, we've heard about this for the last God knows how long. I wish I'd just pull the fingers out and do something. Anyway, Chairman John Barton issued an update on the airline's Brexit preparations following its 2019 AGM on Thursday, which was yesterday. Uh, Barton said, while EasyJet was confident a reciprocal UK-EU right-to-fly arrangement would emerge should the UK leave the union without a deal, it was prudent the airline continued to establish itself in Europe. EasyJet announced plans in 2017 to establish a new airline, EasyJet Europe, headquartered in Vienna so it could continue flying between EU countries under an Austrian operating license. It's also been pursuing a, a majority EU ownership, a requirement to continue flying in Europe post Brexit. Barton on Thursday revealed EasyJet had so far re registered more than a thousand pilots. 3,300 cabin crew and 133 aircraft in Austria. Other preparations uh, include further increasing its EU ownership to 49%, just shy of the 50% uh, plus, uh, one shared requirement to continue operations in Europe post-Brexit and setting up a new spare parts hub in the EU to limit exposure to any logistical supply chain risks between the EU, EU and the UK, which is Fairly obvious because most of EasyJet's fleet, well, they are all Airbus and Airbus is built in France. So, yeah, it's always good. He also confirmed EasyJet's Austrian operation had been ring-fenced to ensure there is no reliance on existing EU traffic rights by the UK airline. While we're operationally well prepared as we get closer to Brexit, we remain focused on the broader... Uh, external risks that could emerge, in particular in the event of a no-deal Brexit, said Barton. These risks may, uh, risks may be sector and or non-sector specific and their impact is by definition less certain. This would include any impact on co- uh, consumer confidence or the potential cost and operational impacts arising from increased friction in travel between the EU and the UK. I know who Aspire Pilot is, by the way. Oh, do you?
1: Yeah, I do. He's been in this very studio. Oh, has he? Yeah. Oh. It's
0: Ben. It's Ben. Ben Ben Rourke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Hello, Hello, Ben. Ben. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, EasyJet uh, also recorded uh, passenger numbers in 2018 of 88.5 million, up 10.2% on 2017's figures. So it's uh, safe to say that uh, EasyJet are definitely putting things in place to protect themselves mm. from the I have B a question
1: word. actually for our because we obviously we're very lucky we have two uh, very proud Americans at uh, either side uh,
0: do you side like of you. Brexit yeah, no, no,
1: no, no, no. no 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 but the, the question I was going to ask actually I, yeah are you are you guys literally laughing at us <laughs> over all this I mean this must I mean are you even vaguely I mean we feel like it's a really big thing and it, it obviously here it's massive news like continuously I mean I can't remember there ever being a day where the Brexit wasn't like part of the rolling news program I mean are, are you even aware of it in the States really I mean
0: um hmm I, do you make the sound effects
1: <laughs> right okay
2: <laughs> right okay <laughs> You're right. I, <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think people. I, I think people are aware of it. I. I think if you live in the U.S., um, unless you're involved in business, right? Because it's going to Brexit is going to affect trade and it's going to affect yeah. the economy. So I, I think if you're in that industry, you know, an industry that may be affected by it in the U.S., I, I think you're probably very much in tune with what's going on. Right. You know, I. I think for me, living here in the U.K. Um, while it may not affect me directly, I know you guys, right? So I have a lot of friends here in the UK. I have a lot of friends uh in Europe. So, you know, when, when Captain Al was talking about getting his license, his yeah. commercial pilot's license yeah. re registered in a different country. Yeah, you know, that's when I sort of pay attention to it is how is it gonna yeah, affect the how people it's around affect me? Affect
0: you,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It's. Uh, I mean, don't, you,
0: know, you should see the comments in the chat room. Yeah, there. no, I can't read any it's of them so out good.
1: because it's just not allowed. But uh,
0: yeah, I, 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 actually, Micah makes a very good point. Our main man, Micah, he says that we uh, we are not laughing about Brexit. Looks at our crazy politics. At least your government has not closed recently in the UK.
1: Well, there is that. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it might as well be closed. Let's be honest. But uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I. I, I guess I, I'm just intrigued to to, to know sort of because I, I feel like it's this. It, you know, it's 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 the continuous elephant in the room. Certainly, as far as as <laughs> as us UKites are concerned, and I I don't know. I just I just sort of feel like perhaps we're being, you know, not not laughed at, but it, I mean, it, I think it's safe to say it's not going smoothly. No. You're Good. You're, you're <laughs> think getting laughed my at uh, my lovely
2: bride in the chat room. You know, kind of put it mildly to say uh, we've got. We've got our own situations going on in the US. I don't know that we're anybody to laugh at somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway.
1: You know, but say say what you like about that particular situation. I mean, in some respects, you've almost got to admire the fact that, you know, in his manifestos, he said that these things were going to happen and everybody suddenly really supplies because for the very first time ever, a politician is actually doing what he said he was going to do, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, you can't help but feel... So anyway, sorry. Enough politics. Moving on. Moving
0: on. We must move on, Matt. We must move on because the next story's yours. Oh, is it? Oh, I haven't brought it up. I've been too busy talking about my favourite subject. The the next story um, for Matt uh, is is uh, is is on the Journal dot com, and a special one. This is what now? A special one. This is. (laughs) And uh, we're dedicating. Where on earth did you find it? It's ECJ again. We're dedicating this story uh, especially to Nev because it's a BA story. But this, I have to say, Matt, this story is filthy.
1: <laughs> right, okay. Uh, here we go, everyone. Uh, this is on the European Cleaning Journal. Ladies and gentlemen, obviously a a hive of aviation-related content. (laughs) Uh, The headline is, British Airways cuts turnaround times by skimping on cleaning. This was released on the 7th of February 2019. British Airways has been testing a new way of reducing turnaround times by avoiding carrying out a full aircraft clean between flights. Works for Ryan, eh? Uh, Sorry. (coughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, The system was trialled over a period of four days on flights from London Heathrow to Dublin. Well, that's hardly fair. It's like the shortest flight that they (laughs) can do. Uh, While any rubbish uh, found in seat pockets and in overhead lockers was removed by the usual cabin staff, uh, no extra cleaning tasks were carried out either in the cabins or in the lavatories. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, The cabin was then given a quality Checked by a senior manager before passengers were allowed to board, with a cleaning crew standing by in case the aircraft was deemed not up to standard. So you're still paying them because they're on standby. <laughs> Anyway, the trial formed part of an effort by British Airways to look at ways of minimising turnaround times in cases where airlines face severe disruptions, such as uh, during extreme weather conditions. It is believed that cutting down turnaround times could allow aircraft to make up for lost time and avoid delays in arrival at the destination. BA claims to have received no customer complaints concerning cleanliness following the trial, but union officials... ...that the move could lead to BA managers expecting cabin crew to clean the aircraft in place of cleaners in future. There are also fears that security could be compromised if cleaners are not required to perform a thorough cabin check. Now I'm not sure about that bit because actually, to be fair, and I, and I use well initially in jest but actually I use Ryanair as an example of this. Um, you know, I suppose it because in most cases, it, it I think you'll probably find that you know uh, your average plane will do probably no more than three or four sectors before it goes back to to base to have essentially a major overnight clean anyway. When it when it's doing uh, you know sort of short haul sectors, I don't know if this is. As Bigger, I mean, all right, yes, I'd quite like somebody to maybe wipe a loose seat. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if this is as big a deal as...
5: Yeah? No? Okay. Uh,
1: S- Stephen looks horrified,
4: ladies and no, gentlemen.
0: because no, no, <laughs> Stephen I, keeps I, a very clean I, air. I don't doubt that
1: for a second, but he looks horrified.
4: No, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I know my airline, you know, we partner with other airlines, and there's definitely the carriers clean the... Some clean the plane more than others, but... Um, not throwing any names out there sometimes it's just when you come back to the hub sometimes it's when you call for it and sometimes it's only when it's absolutely necessary so yeah i mean i i don't know what uh, it's i guess it's more of a matter of kind of image do you want to present to Have you ever customers? got
0: on the flight deck and, and thought, oh, God, blimey, crisps everywhere and well, peanuts? Well, and... you know, that's
3: the thing. They don't come up there and clean the flight deck. It's the oh. pilot's responsibility. So if it's dirty up there, well, you know the guy that's been up there. So did it last little, time. Yeah, yeah, It's it's kind of a pee. Mm. Yeah. I,
1: where, where do you sit on, on this particular issue on Monday? Uh,
2: I, I don't know that I, I... I know that airlines are looking at every single avenue to cut costs. I don't... I'm not sure this is the right avenue to go I mean, down
1: so in fairness to BA, it, it, they are claiming that is not that is not due to sort of trying to save money it's more uh, to try and sort of speed up their turnaround times and i to a degree i understand what they're saying but of course in reality um there may not be a an earlier slot available if you've missed your slot that you were supposed to 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 Ma- I, mean, I guess they're they're sort of suggesting that maybe without having to have a major clean then you might be able to make your previous departure slot perhaps if you've arrived a bit late but mm, i don't know mm. I, I don't know it's uh you know as you say i'd like to think it's not because it's saving costs and just sort of uh, you know that, i don't know
2: i'd rather not think about how many people have sat in that seat and used that
1: table yeah. that pulls yeah. down yeah, exactly. before it was white
0: last time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so moving on yeah. to, the, to the next clean story. good job on that one carlos yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well done uh, thanks for so, that uh, so this, yeah. uh, this one was, it was, was so, uh, this one was a nev story so this one is on the airline ratings.com website and we've talked about this aircraft for a few weeks now on the show and uh, the a380 the big airbus a380 and Never heard of it's it. Bad news, more bad news this week for Airbus because Qantas has cancelled its eight remaining A380 orders. So Qantas has formally cancelled its eight remaining Airbus A380 orders, leaving it with a fleet of 12 as technology and fuel economy catch up with the super jumbo. The long expected cancellation had been flagged previously and comes as Airbus looks to end the production of the giant of the skies after key customer Emirates indicated it would swap orders for more fuel efficient Airbus aircraft such as the twin engine A350 and A330. The move means that Airbus will update its order book to reflect the cancellation. Following discussions with Airbus, Qantas has now formalized its decision not to take eight additional A380s that were ordered in 2006, Qantas said in a statement. These aircraft have not been part of the airline's fleet and network plans for some time and Qantas remains committed to a major upgrade of its existing A380s which begins in mid-Canada 2019 and will see us operate the aircraft well into the future. In the long-term, Qantas is expected to replace the A380 and the Boeing 747 with a mixture of 787s and either the Boeing 777X or the A350. Another 747 will leave uh, the fleet this month of Qantas, leaving it with nine in the fleet, and the last aircraft is scheduled to leave in 2020. It, the problem for the A380 is that technology has flown past it and while the passengers love the aircraft, its accountants don't. Possibly that is the simplest explanation as to why the A380 Super Jumbo appears to be struggling to say in production. Only one airline, Emirates, has really made the aircraft work the way it's built as intended with flash bars and showers. And the interior has been driven by one man, Emirates President Sir Tim Clark, whose vision of mass travels propelled Emirates to one of the world's largest international carriers. But technology has left the A380 behind and changing traffic patterns have also thrown out the business case of the giant hubs. Since the A380 was designed in the late 1990s, the lighter all composite aircraft have emerged like the 787, the A350 that burn 34% less fuel per passenger. The A380's engines have been leapfrogged twice, and the new 777X to be rolled out shortly will burn around 40% less fuel per passenger because of its new generation general electric engine, the GE9X. Now, have you flown the 380? have not
1: been
0: on the 380 or the 7.4. No, Mm. it's... um,
1: uh, Lane Street says in the chat room, "Long live the Queen." That's what yes, the seven Yeah, the seven four seven. Yeah, know. it's sort of a bit of a shame. I think it's safe to say there's a, uh, there's somebody in the chat room who's definitely got a man crush on one of our um, guests. Hold up. Yeah. Uh, but, but pilot Pip seems to be having a, a moment uh, with to himself. Oh really? Know. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, ya. I told you, you're famous nice Yeah, baby. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he got all he got a little bit excited. Yeah. What, what do you,
0: what, what do you think, Armando, about this, this whole ever good ever decreasing a380 issue? Yeah, I think
2: uh, I think it's a well written article in that it, you know it's kind of restating everything that everybody already knows in the industry that you gotta you gotta. Uh, be more efficient, you gotta reduce those uh, operating costs and these uh these airplanes they mentioned the A three fifty, the triple seven X and the seven eighty seven, it's gonna be hard to compete with them. So a shame.
3: And I, I think it hurts it too. It's it doesn't have a large cargo capacity when you start loading up all the passengers, if I understand that right. So yeah, you can't true. you can't compensate your, you know, or revenue or whatever with the additional cargo because you've got mm-hmm. so many people on board. Maybe if you took out a shower, you could throw in a Ferrari or something. Or <laughs> more, you know, <laughs> that, that, that is
1: a, an option, certainly. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. So it,
0: it always surprised me why Airbus never went down the cargo avenue with this aircraft. You know, like uh, are, there A380? are there any no. A380? Are there any A380 cargo? No. No. Boeing done it with the seven four. You've obviously got the seven four seven cargo. So but. what's
3: the the Beluga based off of then? Cause I thought the it
0: was three- Beluga is based on the three. The new one's based on the three thirty. Oh okay. okay. Yeah and the older beluga was based on the, the 300. 300 yeah 300, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. yeah it's a shame it's a get, shame but as i said i think you know, i think Emir- emirates are de- i mean you know emirates have got millions of these a380s so i right. think you know okay. uh, they've. Uh, i well.
4: mean I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here when you retire them apartment complexes Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> i'm just saying yeah. yeah yeah
0: have you seen the one in, in i think it's in uh i'm sure it's in amsterdam Somewhere there's a seven four seven. four it's been converted seven, yeah. into a hotel. Exactly. And you can actually like the like the master uh, like the posh penthouse or whatever suite is the flight deck. Posh. You know, and it's uh, yeah. you can actually sleep. You know, in on the flight deck. It's, it's yeah. Awesome. There was
2: a there was another article uh, this week that I saw. I don't think we're uh, going to talk about it, but it was a seven forty seven that was getting moved into. Um, uh, in front of one of the the hotels and i can't remember what country that was in but i, I remember seeing that that story this week so
0: um
2: yeah I guess repurpose them as, 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 as i think apartment complexes is, is, is a great idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> so moving on to the next story armando this uh this one is a chilly story for you but uh, i love this airline. Chilly
2: story. <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm dressed appropriately for the story but uh <laughs> i actually love this one it's from the usa today it's uh Alaska Airlines puts Captain Marvel on one of its Boeing 737s. Um, Alaska Airlines has added the the comic-themed special livery in advance of the new Captain Marvel movie, which is set to debut on March 8. The special special edition paint scheme was unveiled Tuesday at Alaska Airlines hub in Seattle. The movie has generated Hollywood buzz for becoming Marvel Studios' first film to feature a female superhero character in the lead role captain marvel played by brie larson is a one-time air force fighter pilot who is now helping to keep earth safe from intergalactic threats It's aviation right Always right. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see we're excited to showcase a pilot who's risen to superhero status uh, an image that embodies strength and confidence and inspires future aviators across our expansive network to go further way to tie it in miss Natalie Bowman, Alaska <laughs> Airlines Managing Director of Marketing and Advertising. Uh, let's see. It's not the first special livery for Alaska. Uh, the airline has about two dozen special edition paint scenes, ranging from turbopop, uh, turboprops painted in the colors of Western universities to 737s painted in Disney themes. Ooh, um, got to love a bit Disney. Here, here I'm going to try to pronounce these correctly, or like get, get the, the, the wording correct. So other notable designs are... Salmon 30 Salmon 2, <laughs> which is a 737, yeah. obviously. Uh, More to Love is a 737-900ER <laughs> with a, uh, let's see, red and purple fuselage that pays homage to Alaska Airlines' merger with Virgin America. We have Spirit of Disney, a 737. Timbers Jet, another 737 in the color colors of the Portland Timbers, uh, pro soccer team. Uh, and a Bombardier Q400 painted in the colors of Boise State University, um, which they talked about a little bit. So, I love these uh, special edition paint schemes. I think they're cool.
1: Yeah. I still think that... What was the one that had the... Um R two D two on it and stuff like that. Oh, like A N A. a- A&A. A&A. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw yeah. a couple times in yeah. Chicago. Yeah, I got. Yeah. Oh, really? It, oh, it, it, so it, it stands out. It stands out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but then I'm a, I'm a bit of a massive Star Wars.
3: And fan. then what? What? I think it's uh Eva Air that have the Hello Kitty. i see it. Hello,
2: Hello yes. Kitty. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
5: Hello we, Kitty. did, see, did yes. see the livery on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah livery uh, is it
2: livery on Norwegian. Live? Norwegian. Yeah, Norwegian with their notable uh, figures on yeah. the on the tails of the aircraft. That you know, always makes me Google somebody, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> there we are. That's that. I don't know what. Sorry, I'm I very. going to put you I on the apologize. tail I assume, uh,
0: Have so, Matt Smith on the tail of a Yeah, yeah I don't no, drive.
1: no, no. I, I think it's time for my tablets. So I don't know.
0: What to <laughs> do. <laughs> anyway, so moving swiftly on yeah. before Matt has a meltdown. Yeah. Uh, the next story for you, Stephen, is uh, is on the awesome site Flight Global.
3: Yes, so uh, Flight Global uh, is talking about um, a incident with Go Air Airbus 320 shut down the wrong engine after experiencing power plant vibrations Ooh. following a bird strike. Uh, so this happened on uh, June 21st, 2017, um, taking off from runway, runway 9 at uh, Mumbai. At around 115 knots, the aircraft suffered a bird strike on the right-hand uh, CFM-56 power plant. When, while an automated advisory alerted to high vibrations on the right-hand engine, this was not called out by the first officer, says the Indian Indian government's inquiry to the event. Although the first officer queried that whether the captain wanted to reject the takeoff, as the jet was still far below the V-1 decision speed of 146 knots, the captain opted to proceed and diagnose the situation once airborne. The inquiry says the captain re- had received no input regarding the engine vibration once the air. Once everyone, the first officer misinterpreted the N1 speed rating of the right-hand engine vibration of the left-hand engine, the inquiry states, the first officer called out a beyond-limit vibration of the unaffected left-hand engine, and as a result of the incorrect assessment, the left-hand engine was incorrectly shut down around 30 seconds after rotation. The rest of the problematic right-hand engine ha- was increased, and the aircraft was left to climb on this engine alone for over three minutes. Oh boy! The first officer says in, in inquiry. The repeated advised the ca- repeatedly advised the captain in, incorrectly that the left-hand engine was experiencing out-of-limit vibration. ATC directed the aircraft to stop climbing around 3,000 feet, and s- the captain sub- subsequently re realized that the vibration was actually the right-hand engine. The crew, recognizing the error, began to restart the left-hand engine, but before it was fully fully operational, reduced the thrust on the right-hand engine to idle. Oh, my word. Um, (laughs) Investigators point out that at this stage, the aircraft was flying only on idle thrust from an engine that had been suffering technical problems. The initial attempt to restart the left-hand engine resulted in a fault the crew increased power on their right-hand engine while rectifying the situation. Um, it goes on to talk about um, the various mistakes that this crew made. Was there a CRM issue here, I, I, Stephen? I, there's for sure a CRM issue, maybe even a training issue. Um, I mean, I know for me, when I was going through training, if you have an engine failure on takeoff... Um, you know, most of their training it was right at V1, so you're going to take it flying anyway. But even once you you go going the rotate, you do nothing with the thrust or anything until you get up to a safe altitude, and you can start troubleshooting the issue. And once you go through your first checklist, you start verifying your um, gauges, and then once you verify that, you go to the key RH, you go step-by-step, step, and then you put your hand on the thrust lever you want to shut down that should reflect what the gauges are saying, and then you both audibly confirm that that's the one you want to shut down, and then you shut it down.
0: So definitely, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, CRM
3: issue. I, I would say so, yes. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, not calling out an engine rolling back on takeoff. I believe um, that's just poor piloting right there. I mean, I, I mean, for me, if I see something wrong, I'm calling it out right away because, regardless of what it is, you I mean you need to make the decision pretty yeah. quick. So. What do you know. say, Armando?
2: I'll, I'll completely agree with Stephen on all of this. The, uh, you know, first of all, every time you go into the sim, you know you're going to get a V one cut, <laughs> so it's <laughs> something that, uh, you know, you plan for. It's the it's probably one of the, the things that you practice the most, and um, it, and even taking that back even further to your basic multi engine training when you're flying a, you know, a light a light twin, everything centers around identify and verify, and. Uh, m- None of those concepts should change. They only, they should only be more ingrained in you um, as you move on. And uh, this was a, a pretty good breakdown. Uh, just like Steven said, it in training, in crew resource management. Um, yeah, misinterpreting uh, three minutes. Three minutes is a long time. Yeah. Uh,
3: and and I'll, I'll say this too. I just went on to read the rest of it. Um, that only. They, they did land safely, amazingly. I don't know how they did, but they actually went around single engine because they were too high. So they actually went around for another lap in the pattern single engine before they actually finally got it back on the ground safely. So, wow.
0: Yep. Wow. I mean, they, uh, they got
2: away with this one, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I mean
0: the, the, three, the 320, I mean, you know, as much as we all either love or hate Airbus, I mean, even the Boeing or the Airbus, they're both well-automated aircraft with systems that will tell you what's going on uh, I think
3: that article even points out the aircraft compensated the bad engine to put more power in because they shut down the good engine so the the plane knew what was going on but they didn't know what was going
1: on Yeah. uh, Did did I see I can't remember whether it it was in the BFF or whether it was uh, somewhere else but there was was a a discussion about um, um, like like automation and stuff in, in, in aircraft. There was a, um, you know, sort of some people were saying perhaps there needs to be less autom- automation and stuff. It, sort of like, you know, talking about safety systems and, and, and things like that. I mean, presumably you've got to sort of understand what, you know, I don't, I don't know, you've got to sort of understand what's, what's going on really to, uh, I mean, this almost sounds essentially like they weren't quite sure what the aircraft was doing and therefore overcompensating.
2: Uh, it's hard to explain you know. this one. This is a this is a basic flying skill for multi-engine aircraft. No matter if it's a Cessna three hundred and ten or a A three hundred and forty, it's just you know, I, I don't I don't know that I that there's much to explain on this one other than it was just a serious crew failure. Uh, yeah. Automation is great, but then you know we we, we saw what happened with Lion Air. Yeah. Um, oh,
4: yeah. So there's there's a good middle
2: ground. You still gotta you still gotta fly the plane.
4: I mean, yeah. I, I will say that I think the automation saved them in this case. Right. Okay. I mean, because if I doubt they were hand flying at that point, so I mean, the automation definitely probably saved them in this case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Fair point.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. I will tell you what, um, Matt, we're gonna have to get Stephen back here next week. <laughs> Can you get a quick flight across? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next story, and uh, this one's on Flight Global. And it's uh, actually about uh, uh, regarding an aircraft that we have some feedback on coming up later. Uh, this is Aer Lingus plans to introduce oh, yeah, the Airbus A321LR <laughs> on flights to Hartford in July, making or marking the debut of the long-range narrowbody to the North Atlantic market. The carrier will begin flying the A321LR between Dublin and Hartford from the 1st of July, and then between Dublin and Montreal from the 8th of August. Flight global schedules Updated over the weekend show. The aircraft is shown with 184 seats. Yeah, it's not quite as full as you can I think you can get squeeze about 221. Yeah, somewhere or, around there. Yeah, 220 is like for sure. Yeah, Aer Lingus serves Hartford with a Boeing 757-200 at the moment, while uh, Montreal is a new destination. The A321LR is Airbus's offering to replace the 757. You can't replace the 757. On longer missions, including across the Atlantic, it has three additional centre fuel tanks that will allow it to fly up to 4,000 nautical miles or 7,400 kilometres. Uh, Aer Lingus's introduction of the type on flights to Hartford will be the first transatlantic A321LR service by any carrier. Uh, current schedules show. Airbus delivered the first A321LR to uh, no, Arkia Israel Airlines in November. And Aer Lingus has firm orders for eight A321LRs with four due in 2019. Fleet's analyzer shows. Executives have outlined plans for a fleet of 12 in the future. The A321LR is also expected to operate Aer Lingus' new service to Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, That begins on the 8th of July, and the airline's director of global sales and vice president of North America, Bill Bryan, said in December. The airline expects its first aircraft well ahead of July and plans to operate familiarization flights in Europe before introducing it on the transatlantic Brian added, Aer Lingus, which is owned by international airlines group IAG, is focused on joining the transatlantic joint venture with fellow IAG-owned carriers BA and Iberia, executives said in January, and no timeline was provided. The Irish carrier benefits from US uh, pre-clearance facilities at its Dublin hub, which allow its flights to arrive at, uh, domestic, uh, as domestic flights at US airports. And uh, that's good news for Airbus, obviously, with the 321. Um, I've flown on the 321, but not the 321LR. But um, are you a 321 lover, Stephen? I am not a
3: 321 lover. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying it's a bad aircraft. I just, um, I don't know. I feel like it's not as comfortable as it's made out to be, especially in the U.S. Um, I know Delta, they have them a pretty good but Now it's replacing their 5.7. I feel like it's a little bit more... Cramped and the way the configuration is, because you know it's got the L two door like the five yeah. seven does, but they don't use it. And when you actually get on board the aircraft, there's a bathroom right before you get to the door, and it it just the layout just it's mm-hmm. not there for me. I don't know. But you know, just talk about it going long range over the ocean. I know we, we were t- talking about Matt's experience flying. You know the five seven five, yeah, across yeah, yeah. the
1: pond. Oh, it's a lovely aircraft. I don't know what you're on about. (laughs) So,
3: I mean, I I don't know if a 321 would be much better for going across the pond.
0: Plus, I mean, we've all got to admit this as uh, aviation fans that um, I do believe that the A321LR in full thrust on takeoff will not sound anywhere near as good no. as the Rolls-Royce RB211-powered 757. And it will
3: not look as good either. No.
2: Nope, sits too low to the ground.
0: <laughs> Armando, you're keeping quiet?
2: No, I was actually thinking all the exact same things <laughs> about Matt's trip, and I was like, well, this is a perfect replacement for a 757 to go across the ocean.
4: <laughs> Great. Can't wait
1: for that to try and kill me at some point.
4: Brilliant. But, but hey, it's better than a Norwegian 737 across the pond. <laughs>
1: I don't know if I agree. <laughs> I, I I feel quite comfortable on a seven three seven because that's basically the only aircraft I've ever spent any any amount of serious time flying around. Because like most of the flights that I've ever done have always been Ryanair flights, and they've always been you know. But have you done it for six or eight hours? No. Okay. Yeah. There you go.
0: There you go. <laughs> So the last story, Armando, I think, actually, I think you should take this story, being being it's a a kind of another one of those, oh, my God, what happened here stories. This one is uh, on-flight global. So, Armando, what's this one all about?
2: Yeah, so uh, this is about an A320 suffering loss of thrust as it entered a mountain wave. So Air Canada is probing an incident in which an Airbus A320 lost thrust on one engine as it passed through a mountain wave en route to Los Angeles. The aircraft with 146 passengers and five crew members was operating from Toronto on 27th January, says the Transportation Safety Board of Canada. It says the A320 uh, registration, Charlie Fox Lima Sierra Sierra was cruising at 36,000 feet, some 85 miles southwest of Colorado Springs in the Rocky Mountain region. The aircraft passed through a mountain wave Oscillations in the atmosphere caused when uh, air current flow is disturbed over high terrain. The left-hand CFM56 power plant rolled back, says the board, from 90% of N1 to 60%. The aircraft started to lose speed and started to descend, it adds. The crew informed air traffic control of the situation, requesting a change in cruise altitude to 30,000 feet, but no emergency was declared. While the left-hand engine showed slight vibration says the board there was no alert from the aircraft's centralized monitoring system the engine recovered shortly afterwards and the aircraft landed without further incident so i think this is a very complimentary story to what we were just talking about in this case maybe an erroneous reading wasn't providing the right indications to the crew so
0: this is something you've heard about before Stephen? mountain wave yeah, um, at
3: my airline, we do actually a little bit of training on it because of just where we operate in the mountains, uh, the Rocky Mountains in particular. Um, we talk about it a pretty good bit. Um, but it's usually at lower altitudes when you're coming out of like a valley on the high terrain airports um, during uh, major weather events, not up at cruise altitude. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that perhaps maybe that they were t- higher than they were supposed to be and they might've had a low speed event and they were just trying to put it off on something else. Cause that's, I, I, I mean, I haven't experienced, I mean maybe someone else has, but I, I don't see how mountain wave is going to reach you that high. It may be, um, a shift in the jet stream or something, but I don't think it would cause your engine
0: to roll back. That it does much. seem quite high. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Think-
2: it's, uh, um, you know, the atmosphere is weird, but, uh, and it may be a terminology thing of what they're using here in this article, as opposed to maybe what the crew reported, right? And for our non-turbine uh, uh, aviators, the the all these values. So the N1 value, it's a it's it's a percentage, right? It's a percentage representation of what a normal should look like. Um, and you can correct correct me if if I'm wrong, Stephen. But you know, and then a rollback is just. Essentially, anything that isn't an unscheduled, yeah. an unscheduled reduction yeah. of of engine power due to something uh, happening, yeah. right? Yeah. So when they're talking about N one reductions and uh, fluctuations and a rollback, there there's a probably a hundred different things yeah. that could cause a rollback. It could be icing, it could be you know a a, a fan blade, it could be a fuel issue. So, it, it could just be a pump kicking on
4: or off too, or cycling. Yeah, off.
2: exactly. Yeah. So, mountain wave and sure, uh, disrupted airflow is a is a thing. But you know, usually you're you're talking about compressor stalls and anything yeah. that disrupts the airflow in the inside the engine. Um, so, mountain wave, not 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 sure. Could yeah. be could be a lot of things.
0: Hmm. So that good discussion there. Well done. Well done, you two. Round of applause thank you <laughs> so that uh, brings the uh, commercial news segment to a close this week hope you all enjoyed those stories so coming up next then we have got uh, some uh, audio feedback that was sent in to us by listener jan hubner if you remember a few weeks back uh, nev had the chance to fly on the a320 neo And, uh, well, Jan has sent us in some feedback on uh, the American Airlines 320 and of the 321 as well. And here it is.
6: Hello, gentlemen. This is Jan from Berlin. I just want to say thanks for the excellent work you're doing. And Um, also provide some feedback on Episode 254 regarding uh, the plans for American Airlines to operate the A320neo and the 321LR. Uh, On the longer routes, um, some of you might know... um, I have done a couple of runs on uh, American's Transcon services between the East and West Coast, which operate uh, at the moment on 321 CO aircraft in the free class and as well on BA's London City to New York service. And from my point of view, it is a fascinating feeling uh, having a single uh, aircraft on a longer operation because it feels more private. Uh, than it does in a white body aircraft. Unfortunately, I can't speak for economy, but uh, if you have a proper seat, uh, a smaller aircraft is usually nicer flying. It might be a bit more bumpy uh, in regards to uh, the small aircraft being affected by turbulence more than a white body would do. But on the other hand, it's a great experience. And if anyone any of you can have a chance, I would say go for it.
0: I think we will. We'll have to. Book some flights, I think, and uh, and go and sample it for ourselves. Perhaps we could ask uh, Nev to book us on the uh, BA's.
1: Actually, you, you mentioned Nev there. Now uh, he did send us some video footage. Actually, didn't he? Oh yeah. yes, oh. yeah. Earlier
0: yeah. on today, Nev uh, did send us some video feedback. Yes, <laughs> from video Nev. Feedback. So although uh,
1: he's not here, he's he's uh, he's still very much yeah. involved. Now, now, if if you've if you're in the UK or you have been following uh, the, the the weather and stuff, I think it's fair to say, uh, Stephen, your arrival here uh, into Stansted was um, lively.
3: It was very.
4: Brisk, brisk.
3: Okay, it's another word. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> okay. It's. Well, when did you? Um, when did you get here, Armando? When did you um, fly back? Uh, I got here on Sunday. Oh right. Oh no. The weather was yeah. quite friendly then. Yeah. The weather was. Nice. Yeah. It wasn't too
5: bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, So
0: this storm has got a name, actually. They've actually named this storm something like Eric or something. He's Eric stupid. is it or something? It? Yeah, something like that. Storm Eric. I
1: feel very embarrassed about, about the names that we, we we see. It's like was it a few months back and it was Storm Doris.
0: Oh, Doris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm still waiting. Mean... <laughs> I'm still waiting for the Storm Bob.
1: Yeah, I know. I just I, I, I can't help but feel very embarrassed about being British sometimes. You know, it's like you know you get you get Hurricane Katrina like in in the states and stuff. And what do we have, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> great storm dave yeah storm, storm
0: dave yeah storm dave rolled I mean, it's dive. very english
1: yeah you know but uh, anyway sorry going back to anyway. what I was saying about uh so never sent us a little bit of video which I shall just play out this is for this us is his, his yeah. his coming
0: into Heathrow
1: yeah so he's coming into Heathrow he's been at uh, uh, people who were watching last week will know uh that he's been in Amsterdam this he week has. uh for a trade show um and um yeah, it's quite a... Actually, it, it does, I don't think it really does it justice. You can't just see that it's banking quite Rock, Rocking a you bit, yeah. can see it for sure. rocking, rocking about backwards and forwards. And I know um, from um, what's been saying uh, like uh, in the BFF chat group and stuff, I know as people were like, like, flights from Emirates, uh, which were supposed to be landing at Gatwick, were being diverted to Manchester because the weather was just so bad. Um, your wind was so bad. It was uh, yeah, not good really. Okay. Looks
0: v- looks a bit grey. Oh, cool. Blimey, that was a bit scary. So w- free.
1: W- was that um, w- was he in? Is it? You say two seven left or something? I don't know which which runway was he coming into. Do we know?
3: coming, oh, coming
0: okay. into the grass, I think, at this rate. Well, yeah, there is that. Oh, there's yeah. the Queen of the Skies there. BA's Queen of the Skies parked up. Triple Sevens. That was a
1: firm. Fir there's way, Concorde.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, nice uh, virgin. Yes. One. It's all right
1: when it's on the ground,
0: yeah. Oh, it's got a bit of a flat spot on tyre.
1: Uh, right, OK. Uh, I should say, uh, several people actually today have sent us, including uh, Richard, uh Big Jet TV were actually following uh, stuff coming into and out of Heathrow uh, today, and they did catch quite an yes. event uh, yeah, today. Unfortunately, uh, we have contacted them requesting uh, permission to play it. Unfortunately, we didn't get the authorization to do so. But, uh, but yeah, take yourselves if yeah, you're te- uh, in the yeah, UK, yeah. take
0: yourselves over to Big Jet TV because, yeah, as absolutely. Matt said, they captured yeah. a it's actually rather on their Twitter feed, isn't it? Yeah. You
1: don't need to surprise to see it. It is. It's a rather a, interesting yeah. landing it of. Well,
0: actually. Go around yeah. of a <laughs> yeah. Dreamliner of a BA Dreamliner. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, Actually, Lane Street has said in the chat room that um, he's a bit worried that um, possibly Nev may have uh, dropped his gin and tea.
5: <laughs>
1: I know, I know. It, it is always like, a bit of a rough landing, to be fair. I mean, yeah. it's uh, you know, what what can you say, really? It's, Actually,
0: um, I'm surprised Nev could get that kind of view there from his uh, seat in one uh, A. Right. Okay. Know,
1: I have to confess, I seem to recall from last week's show that he (laughs) may have been slumming it.
0: Oh, blimey. Um,
1: in cattle class uh, this this week, I know, oh, wow. I know, <laughs> things have gone terribly wrong for him. What can I say? So, thanks yeah. to uh,
0: to obviously to Jan Hubner as well for sending yeah. his audio feedback in. Thanks yeah. for that, and uh, thanks for Nair for sending that video in as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, as I say, and seriously, loads of people have, have contacted us uh, during the day, as I say Richard included about yeah. uh, that thing. As I say, it's a shame we couldn't get the permission because that that is, if 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 you get a chance. Um, yes. In fact, actually, the the link that. Uh, um, that uh, Richard has emailed me, I will pop into the uh, the chat room actually because I can yeah. do that, can't I? Just it's worth having a look at it. If not, as I say, search uh, Big Jet TV, you'll, you'll see what uh, what it was all about. It was incredible. So incredible. next,
0: we are going to hand things over to our newest member of the team, Armando. So Armando, I'll hand it over to you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, as I was looking for military news this week, I was thinking eh, it's kind of light. But after we have a news story from the Euro Cleaning Journal. <laughs> yeah, suddenly it doesn't seem so bad, does it? Like, it no, may yeah. tell me that I'm maybe not looking hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. I know. So I know. we will do our best. And it was kind of quiet, so the stories are uh, not the most thrilling. But uh, let's shoot for them anyway. So in this case, are you ready, Carlos?
0: I'm ready. Steven? I'm
4: ready.
2: Matt? Oh, I was born ready, mate. Let's go then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the first story here is going to sound real similar to that uh, KC 46 story, um, but it is about the Marine Corps receiving the new. Uh, CH-53 and how it's pretty much a mess, and uh, it could face some serious delays. So it goes, uh, the Marine Corps took delivery of its first CH-53C King Stallion in May 2018, but since then, the heavy lift helicopter has faced a series of mechanical issues that are impacting its expected operational date. A Department of Defense report said that the CH-53K's initial operational capability milestone originally set for December of 2019 is likely to be pushed back and the test and evaluation will not kick off until 2021 now uh, to correct multiple air quotes well not air quotes real quotes <laughs> design deficiencies during testing Let's see the core still expect expects that most of its uh, its most powerful heavy-lift helicopter will make its first planned Operational deployment, which is slated to sometime in 2023-2024, uh, according to Marine spokesman Captain Christopher Harrison, the Corps is closely working with the Navy and Sikorsky to reevaluate the program and its execution timelines. Impacts to the schedule and will be updated accordingly. Uh, let's see the Department of Defense laid out a slew of mechanical issues found during initial testing, including airspeed indication anomalies, low. Rep- low reliability of main rotor gearbox, that's pretty critical, uh, tail boom and tail rotor structural problems, overheating of main rotor dampers, fuel system anomalies, high temperatures in the number two engine bay, and hot gas ingestion by the number two engine. So all, all of these things is, uh, is probably gonna delay the initial uh, delivery of this helicopter or the operational capability of this helicopter. And it goes on to describe how it uh, has a lift of 36,000 pounds externally, 27,000 pounds internally for about 110 nautical miles.
1: Now, I mean, I pop, I pop the picture up of this. this I, I think it's awesome. I, I, it's a monster. <laughs> I mean, it, awesome. it, I don't understand how it gets in the air. It's just like, I don't know. it. it
2: <laughs> yeah. So the the fifty three platform has been around since Vietnam. The, mm-hmm. right. and that's so, what I was about to say. I was like, it looks yeah. exactly the same.
1: It looks angry. It just looks angry.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a a proven workhorse. It's you know been in every conflict that I think has has uh, happened in the last sort of fifty years or so. Uh, but this you know kind of like this into the kc-46 is in the same boat it's a 767 great proven airplane but once you start modifying it to a point mm. um, and you start sort of going outside of its design envelope
3: i mean mm-hmm. so, so they, they just upgrade the engines and the rotor gearbox is is that all they changed out because it looks exactly the same
2: i think externally it looks the same it, it's probably got different engines different avionics probably uh uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows what's in there?
0: Eighty-seven program. million dollars per aircraft. Oh, oh cheap!
2: Just, oh. just eighty. Bargain. No, <laughs> oh, no, no. They're talking about
0: one
2: hundred and thirty-eight million dollar per aircraft. Oh yeah, oh, that's it. I yeah, was it. just looking at the
0: flyaway. Oh, flyaway best price tag. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's the
2: like Taking it discounted,
0: off the lot Discounted price. <laughs> That's yeah, all right.
1: Good luck with that. Good, yeah. good luck getting that one past Gemma, Carlos. I'm um, not going to well, lie. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I'll just say,
0: I mean, I mean, the, the lift and the lift and capa- uh, capabilities of this helicopter are pretty awesome. And I just think you know you could carry quite a bit of gear with that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Quite a bit of rock gear, up, rock and up and to a disco. Rock up to first. a disco with the Tristar van <laughs> slung R- on, right. underneath. Yeah. yeah. What, I'm afraid. <laughs> 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 so moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is on the Combat Aircraft uh, Dot Dot Com, and the headline: New Eagles Increasingly Likely for U.S. Air Force. So the U.S. Air Force looks to be moving towards a purchase of the new fifty F fifteen X Eagles from Boeing. As F-15Cs that are attached to three active-duty units could be replaced with the new F-15X, enabling the older Eagles to cascade down to the Air National Guard. This will in turn enable the ANG to retire its new uh, two-seat or its two-seat F-15Ds that retain original ANAPG APG-63. The uh, radars. Uh, the USAF is facing a conundrum of whether to embark on expensive upgrades that are needed for its existing F-15Cs or purchase new aircraft. Last week, Lieutenant De- or Left is it Lieutenant or Lieutenant General? Lieutenant. Lieutenant General Arnold Bunch of the U.S. Air Force's top acquisition officer said that the U.S. Air Force will seek to add new Eagles to the FY202 defense budget in order to replace the older F-15Cs and Ds still in service. This is linked to meeting the new National Defense Strategy with increased F-35 purchase rates unable to meet the U.S. Air Force's time-critical demand for an expansion. Senior U.S. Air Force officials want to tap into the advanced F-15 that has been developed for Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Uh, The F-15X will likely be a single-seat version of these variants and possibly available in relatively short order from Boeing. It marks a significant shift in posture for the U.S. Air Force which previously said it would only purchase new fifth-generation fighter aircraft. However, keeping the F-15 line active in St. Louis means the US does not become overly reliant on Lockheed Martin. In addition, the F-15X is likely to be sold as a spend to save. Uh, a new Eagle runs out at around the $100 million mark. Officials have made no secret that it is uh, that the suite of upgrades required to keep the old Eagles credible is almost prohibitively expensive. Uh, new weapons racks, new wings, upgraded cockpits and new electronic warfare systems Uh, protection systems to mention but a few even throwing huge uh, upgrade packages at the F-15C would still see the aircraft falling short of the capabilities of the advanced F-15 which features a digital flight control system this is critical in that it opens up wing stations 1 and 9, enabling expanded wing weapons carriage, a significant factor for the US Air Force as it seeks to up-arm its eagles to act as weapons trucks to complement the stealthy 5th generation fighters. Now I like the F-15, I've got to say, um, I'd probably prefer that to the F-16 to be fair. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Armando, what are your views?
2: Yeah, I think it's a, a yet another smart move uh, on behalf of the Air Force. And you, you saw this similar to last week's story with the uh, light attack aircraft. A lot of these purchases and, and sort of acquisitions depend on our partner nations. Um, so it's sort of, a, we're gonna all go into this together and make sure that this airplane's gonna be viable and fly for the next however many years. But uh, yeah, if you, if you know something works, you don't mess with it too much, you know, so as we sort of figure out the F-22 and the F-35, uh, I think keeping a level of investment in the F-15 is probably a smart idea.
0: So, Stephen, the next story is uh, for you, and this one is on, uh, this one's on Flight Global, actually, again.
3: It is. Um, this is the U.S. Navy marked, re- marked retirement of its last legacy. Uh, McDonnell Douglas F-18 Hornet fleet in a flyover ceremony sunset on February 1st at Naval Air Station Oceana in Virginia Beach. The blue blasters of Strike Fighter Squadron VFA-34 were the last squadron in the United States Navy flying the Hornet, most recently aboard the aircraft carrier Carl Vinson during Freedom of Navigation Patrols in the South China Sea in 2018, says the United States Navy. The Legacy F-A-18C Hornet is being replaced with the F-A-18 Block III Super Hornet, including the single-seat Echo model and the two-seat F model. The twin-engine Hornet was based on the Northrop YF-17 design submitted for the U.S. Air Force's Lightweight Fighter Program in the 1970s. It lost out to General Dynamics YF-16, the F-16 Fighting Falcon, in 1975, however, Uh, A few months later, that decision, the United States Navy announced that it would buy a Navy version of the aircraft jointly developed with McDonnell, Douglas, and Northrop, which would become the F-A-18 Hornet. The Hornet replaced the Vietnam-era F-4 Phantom and the A-7 Corsair II. The first F-A-18 aircraft completed the first flight in 1978 and was approved for full production in 1983, says the United States Navy. Uh, Boeing acquired the program in 1977 when it merged with McDonnell Douglas. The first combat mission was in 1986 during Operation El Dorado Canyon, the U.S. bombing in Libya. Uh, the United States Navy says it's also served in every major U.S. operation since 1991. Uh, born more than 40 years ago, the Hornet entered operational service of the US Navy in 1984 and for the next 35 years she proudly served the nation from the flight deck of its aircraft carriers in all seas across the globe said William Mathis, commanding officer of VFA 35 at the retirement ceremony. The Hornet is known as many things, legacy, highly reliable, multi-role attack fighter, but to us she will always be an old friend. The Hornet will continue to serve the Marine Corps and the Navy support units But for the operational Navy, it's time to say goodbye. Well, it looks like the oldest of the F-18s are finally coming to retirement. Um, For the U.S. Navy, at least. I believe um, some of the um, ones that are the same age are still flying in uh, Canada now from uh, Captain Nick's old unit in Australia.
0: You know, I can't believe, Matt, this this F-18 that Stephen's been talking about Mm. first flew when we were two years old. Oh, nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> so sweet. 1978.
1: so is, it's been in the air. Like
2: I say, it's
0: been in the air forty years. Then, maybe. it's yeah. I mean, it's it just proves that this uh, airframe is um, it's
2: robust.
0: Definitely, it's definitely done well. Oh yes. I, well.
2: Until I read this article, I didn't know that it came from that it was developed from the F sixteen. Oh, okay.
5: Well,
3: well, I think it was saying that it was in a design competition. Um, oh, okay, the Air Force okay. was looking for a new lightweight fighter and Northrop was submitting this design and General Dynamics submitted the design for the F-16, uh, which I guess when you're talking about lightweight fighters a carrier-based aircraft definitely is not um, lightweight right. per se. It's got <laughs> some bulky um, framework and stuff yeah. for hitting the deck card and everything. But it's uh, it's a good jet. It's not as good looking as the f fourteen but it's still very good looking
2: yeah yeah i like the i like the way the f eighteen looks and uh i think it was uh richard and richard Adams in the chat room that's uh noting that the tornadoes also were finally retired and brought back home this uh this week oh, to tomorrow i believe
0: yeah. uh, I nice should enjoy time. those flying over here, yeah Noisy. Yeah, that, but that
1: is one of the advantages about living here actually. We get we get a lot of um, We are lucky. Yeah, very we lucky get a here. Lot of, uh, military We're work. lucky
0: actually because of the valley that we're kind of in essentially right. here. Well, i assume fish. they
1: fly over us because basically there's nothing here they, worth yeah, keeping
0: they like to, <laughs> fall out. They like to use gone. this area as a training ground yeah absolutely yeah. pretty much
2: fly low and fast with impunity around east anglia yeah, yeah absolutely because <laughs> because there's you know there's nothing but sort of sheep and, and is that even in the uh, even in the cub yeah. i on though yeah you bet the only thing you got to watch out for is that one radio tower near i yeah
0: yeah yeah so the oh, uh yeah. the last uh set oh, last story in this week uh it's uh, it's in regards to a a popular destination uh, sort of not, not far from here actually the imperial war museum and, uh, Matt, this one is about uh, D-Day 75, isn't it? The 75th yeah, anniversary. Yeah, indeed.
1: So this is uh, this is actually a press release from the Imperial War Museum, uh, D-Day 75, as Carlos says. Uh, it was embargoed until midnight on Monday the 28th of January. That's very exciting, isn't it? Embargoed. <laughs> oh, I so feel quite... Quite honored. Anyway, uh, mass flight display recreating D-Day mission to lead Imperial War Museums unprecedented 75th anniversary program. In June 2019, Imperial War Museums, the IWM, will mark the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings on an unprecedented scale. Uh, IWM will, retail, will retell, sorry, the extraordinary land, air and sea story through its Second World War collection and its three historic sites, HMS Belfast, uh, Imperial War Museum, Duxford and the Churchill War Rooms. Seriously, uh, boys and girls. I you, haven't, uh, been have you you been? haven't been there yet. Have you not been? No, the war not the church. No. Oh, my wow, goodness I've me. It is the, the most amazing. Yeah, I need to go. Yeah, there. you need yes, to do. You yes. and I are going to go. I've done HMS point, Belfast yeah. and I've done, it, obviously, Imperial War incredible. Museum. incredible. If you haven't been, seriously. seriously. Seriously, boys and girls, you need to treat yourself. It is incredible. Uh, Working in partnership with DAX over Normandy, a Second World War mass flight display will lead the Imperial War Museum's anniversary plan. Staged from uh, Imperial War Museum's Duxford, uh, this ambitious display will culminate in a cross-channel flight and parachute landing in Normandy on the 6th of June. How cool is that? Uh, Recreating the uh, un... um, the, sorry, recreating the remarkable Second World War story. Ahead of their mass flight, the uh, IWM Duxford will host the greatest number of Douglas C-47 SkyTrain aircraft in one location since the Second World War, descending on, f- on the 4th and 5th. Of June for DAX over Duxford. Over the two days visitors will be able to see more than 30 Dakotas, uh, aircraft synonymous with the D-Day landings as well as mass parachute jumps and flight displays taking place across the museum. On the 6th of June 1944 the greatest seaborne invasion in history began with the mission to liberate Europe from Nazi occupation uh, otherwise known as Operation Overlord. Secrecy was vital to the success of this highly complex land, air and sea operation. By midnight on the 6th of June, 156,000 Allied troops had arrived in Normandy despite challenging weather conditions and fierce German defences. The subsequent Normandy campaign saw British and American troops fighting through France for almost two months before reaching Germany itself. D-Day was one of the most significant victories the western allies during the second world war the eventual collapse of german resistance in france convinced german high command that defeat was inevitable and began the process by which allied victory was achieved in 1945. as part of its anniversary plans iwm will highlight the roles that its historic sites and churchill played in this pivotal moment in history and honor the men who sacrificed so much during this intrepid mission. HMS Belfast led the Allied fleet, opening fire at 5.27am on the 6th of June 1944. American fighter aircraft flew from IWM Duxford in support of D-Day operations and Churchill War Rooms was the nerve center of strategic decision-making during the Second World War. Additional D-Day themed programming will take place on HMS Belfast on Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th of June. Interactive activities where uh, visitors will step into the shoes of people who made D-Day happen to bespoke D-Day group tours on uh, board one of the largest warships present. Uh, on D-Day, further announcements of the Imperial War Museum's full programme of D-Day related events, activities and publications will be released in due course. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you have guys, if you haven't been to Ducks, but if you haven't been to the uh, Imperial War Museums, then this does sound like a great time to go and do so. The only thing is, is I would say get your tickets in ASAP because they do sell out very often. Um, what what's in Duxford? I haven't oh, heard of that location.
3: Oh,
2: oh my you you actually I go past it. We actually I go think, past it to Stanton. Oh, I think I just found our replacement for flying tomorrow, Stephen.
3: Is is it like a big aviation museum? Oh my goodness indeed.
2: me, it is, it is massive. So it's yeah. a bit. That's a uh, to call it an aviation museum is an understatement. That it's it's probably five hangars of pristine yeah. aircraft yeah. and. A good number of them are in flying condition. Oh, wow. And it, it is at an old, I believe Duxford was a Spitfire base, if I'm. I think it was, uh, wasn't it? Right Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can, <laughs> you know, what's funny is you can fly in there because it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's an
1: active and, airfield, yeah. It's
2: oh. an active airfield, and they do these great air shows, but mm-hmm. we could take the Cessna 152 and go fly in there, pay your landing fee, and that gets you into the museum. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's that's yeah, a nice yeah. setup. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it, it, yeah. We, we'll, we'll talk about uh, that after the show, actually, because yeah, if, if you, you need to go and see Duxford, you need to go and see Duxford. And actually, on a Saturday, you quite often have stuff um, taxiing, taking off. I mean, there's quite often they, they've got a two seater Spitfire there, haven't they? And th- that's quite often taking off.
0: Yeah, um, there's a
2: couple of Tiger moths and I yeah. think the uh the Catalina's there too.
0: Yeah, PBY Catalina. Actually,
1: I don't know if <gasps> Ben's still in the chat room because he he has um Ben rourke he he has uh, something to do. With the guys that do the He's flying there.
0: He, I've seen yeah. that he's got a no, video he, on he YouTube. He has something to do with the
1: experience there. uh the experience flight people. Do they have a uh, functioning pby Yes,
0: like, they do. Catalina. Well, cool. yeah, yeah, they have uh it uh, does the rounds of the air shows every yeah. year. We've uh, we were lucky uh, enough Micah to got quite excited actually, yes. didn't
1: he? Because it was actually at Farnborough. Um, he years, was, that he was
0: um, not last year. That was a year, year before, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, when that's we right. had yeah. uh, we had Micah here and yeah. um, Brian Coleman, and uh, we had we interviewed the the flight crew, didn't we? We did, yeah, Academy. absolutely. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, we had to sort of tear Micah away from them after a while. I, I would he, imagine so. Yeah, yeah, he was <laughs> he was a so. very happy bunny. wasn't Micah loves it. Oh. Yeah, he loves the Cali He does absolutely. It's a beautiful aircraft. Oh, about
0: it. So that is uh, the last story in the military news segment for this week, and uh, as you will know, we have uh, our special guest Stephen with us in the studio tonight. And uh, Stephen, I thought we'd um, we'd have a quick chat with you before we wrap things up, and obviously because I think everyone's followed your kind of your your progress. From uh when you started obviously you you've got your own aircraft, the Mooney, mm-hmm. but you've obviously done your aerial photography stuff and and you've well you've you've ascended to <laughs> yeah. the uh to the, the lofty heights of, of an airline pilot. So so yeah, fill us in. How's it been? Uh,
3: well so I uh I left my survey job uh back last July and started training at uh Acme Junior. Um and had to do my ATP, CTP um, testing and all that, past that. And then did a uh, month and two weeks of ground school, uh, learning about jet operations, airline operations, operational specifications specific to my company, and then went in for uh, two and a half weeks of simulator training. And it was as bad as people have told me. The sim sim is horrible. (laughs) It's just awful. Um, So I made it past all of that. And then I had um, two IOE trips, so initial operating experience where you're actually finally flying the jet with people on it. And uh, that was a surreal experience at that point, just, you know, knowing that there's people in the back and, you know, you're in a real... Air well, airliner, you know, flying around and everything, It's uh, it's been a very um, surreal experience that first couple of weeks doing it.
0: So you've got your
3: three stripes on yeah, your arm? Yeah, I've got three stripes. So yeah. First officer.
0: Yeah, FO. Yeah. And uh, what, what's the, because uh, obviously we've had stories on, on the show about the uniforms that some of the airlines have. Have you, uh, shirt and tie and... Uh, yeah, uh, we, we're, we're not as fancy as... Uh, you know, Al or
3: uh, Captain Nick's airline with our get-up, you know, it's just white shirt with um, black, with gold bars and just a black tie, black pants, and uh, I uh, try to spice up a little bit. I got some cowboy boots I wear with mine, <laughs> just, you know, change my clothes. Right. But it's yeah. actually just to walk around in the snow and stuff, because dress shoes do not do well in, yeah. in, in, in snow, so.
0: So tell us a bit about the aircraft that you're uh, currently flying then for Acme Junior.
3: Yeah, so um, I am type-rated in the CL sixty-five, which is the Canadair Regional Jet uh, two hundred aircraft, and then I'm also um, qualified to fly the seven and nine hundred variant of the CRJ series. So. The CRJ200 was the first one, came out in the early 90s, um, was based off the Challenger business jet with some changes to it to make it more commercial friendly. And so the 200 seats, 50 people, it's all coach. And then the 700's got a bunch of different configurations depending on the partner we're with. But it's got improved engines, improved range, and it's got um, different, it has straight strut landing gear, so the landings are more stiff. And then it's got leading edge devices on the front as to where the 200 does it. And then the CRJ-9 is a, a stretched even further than the 700 and has um, bigger engines as well, and it holds up to 76 people.
0: So that's uh, rear-mounted engines on on the aircraft? Yep, they're re- yeah, on they're all rear-mounted
3: on the side. It's um, a baby, mad-dog-looking
0: aircraft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: so Armando, Arm- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Armando, we've got some uh, questions from the chat room, haven't we?
2: Yeah, so I actually really like this question. Tony S in the chat room is asking, what were some of your main
4: considerations when you were choosing a regional airline? Ooh, oh, good boy. question. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a loaded question. It, it, yeah. it is. And you know, it, it's, it's different for everybody. Um, a
3: lot of people go to a particular airline because they want to fly a particular airplane. Um, for me, it was um, base location and then pay. Um, base location mostly because um, I live in the Atlanta area. Um, so obviously, I wanted to be close to home. I didn't want to have to commute back and forth, even though I, up until recently, have had to commute back and forth to Chicago. And that, it, it's, it's such a pain. I mean, it's not just like you drive to work, you have to drive to the airport, get on a plane, fly to another city, then you have a little crash pad you stay in while you're waiting to go work and everything. It's just, it gets old really quick. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough I only had to be out of um where I live for right at four months. Um, and then the pay scale thing, which I mean, those that know the airline I work for, its pay scale isn't the best in the world when I first got hired there. But in in the grand scheme of things, being at home was more important than the pay to me. Um yeah. You know, and a lot a lot of guys see that differently depending on their situation. I know a lot of guys, you know, they're fresh out of school, they just want to make money and fly the most advanced aircraft mm-hmm. and hurry up and move on. But you know, that's that always what's best for somebody.
0: I mean really you're flying a business jet. Really. I mean, well, I uh, mean the two hundred in particular yeah. is is it's basically a business jet. If
3: if you park it next to a challenger, you're gonna be hard pressed to tell the differences in between the two from the outside and if you go on the inside yes you can tell the difference but the seven and nine they are true airliners um you know they're meant to haul people around they're slightly more comfortable than the two hundred um the way the cab is configured you don't have to look down like this to see the window you can actually look at about eye level and stuff like that um they've got better overhead bin space you can actually put a bag in it and um they perform a lot better. the The two hundred is a it's has horrible performance. Um, I know uh, for us, when you're in winter ops to take off with the anti ice system, when you actually have to have the APU up to give enough power mm-hmm. to power the anti ice system and take off.
0: Is that is that a bit similar to the? I mean, Captain Nick is always talking about the A three forty three hundred and having hair dryers. On the wings, I, is that a similar power a power plant
4: issue? I would compare it to having a cooling fan on a laptop. That, that's what I would compare it to. Wow! Yeah. So
2: I had another another question for um, everybody watching the YouTube video. So yeah. we've seen the with the new uh, the green screen. So there's there's pictures behind you. Uh-huh. Would you uh, can you introduce who uh, November nine six three Echo Alpha is?
4: Oh yeah, so the the plane behind me here, uh, nine six three Echo Alpha. Uh, this is uh, my Mooney that I did my commercial uh, certificate in and everything, and then what I still fly when I have time to. This is uh, actually from Oshkosh this year when I went up there. Um, I actually haven't flown it in three months because I haven't been home, oh, but wow. um, I, I have some co-owners that still fly fly it around and keep it in good working order. So um, it's a what was uh, that. Was that your
2: primary avenue to building time to get to the regionals? Or was it the survey?
4: Um, the, the survey was the bi- biggest time, though. This was more for getting certificates and meeting the initial requirements to get to a commercial um, rating to be able to advance further. Um, and I uh, there, there had actually had an aircraft before this. I had a, a Cessna 150 that uh, I bought off Craigslist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow.
1: Does Craigslist have things that aren't horrendous on it, then, by the side of it? Yeah.
0: I mean, mean, what vintage was that? Was that Cessna? It
4: was a 67. Ah, I
0: landed flying a 67. 67. Yeah. It's not a bad airplane. No, not at
4: all. Just just off a sketchy um, website.
5: (laughs) Anyway, um,
3: I I, I did a lot of time building in it, too, because you could go
4: really slow and not burn a lot of gas and everything, mm. but I sold it to upgrade to this to finish out my training and everything. Yeah,
2: Indeed. and what about what about the, that survey? So what led you to the survey job?
3: Um, It was a, I don't know how best way to put
4: it, um, life-changing event, my current job. Just uh, mm. stuff going on that I didn't really like and that kind of pushed me. Start looking for the survey gig and do all that. Um, So I started that in October of 2017, and then I was at an airline uh, by August the following year. So did a lot of did a lot of flying doing survey. Wow!
1: How many hours do you think you banked (laughs) doing
4: doing all your survey flying? Um, Probably a little over 900 in that length of
3: time. And, you, you know, that, that sounds like a lot.
1: You weren't doing it that long, actually, uh, you, were you? Yeah, were you?
3: I, I, I wasn't. But you got to realize that we're going up as soon as the sun angle starts. And yeah. you're getting up th- going up 30 minutes early. And during the spring and the summer, the sun window can be upwards of 12 hours. So you're 30 minutes in the front, 30 minutes in wow. the backside, 13 hours a day. If you get a good week, I mean, that it adds up quick. Wow. I mean, you, you've got to be dedicated to do it. I mean, I... I mean, uh, from the
5: last.
1: Well, of you course, in, in your case, you had a goal, didn't you? I mean, this, this this was all as part. This was all part of your bigger picture yeah. plan, I suppose, but, wasn't it? So, it's it's not the the, the best flying in oh, the world. No, it's not the most no. exciting. I mean, I mean, how you th- didn't th- fall this, asleep the This lot, picture behind know.
3: us right now is a prime example. The no, the other one. Oh, I mean, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. that one. I mean,
1: yeah. th- This
3: was April in Michigan last year, and this is what was going on. It was snowy out here, cleaning out the airplane. You know. That type situation, you know, that you're dealing with with the survey stuff. Um, so like that week, I didn't fly a whole lot, but the next week it was sunny and I flew every day. So yeah. just that kind of dynamic, and you know, some of the guys, they you, you don't you're not as motivated to go fly. I mean, a lot of them um, guys still in college or straight out of college, where they haven't had a full time job yet, and they just you know with no no direct supervisor
4: there at the time, or you know, push to do it, so yeah. to e- each their own. I mean, I was motivated to hurry up to get out of it because 12 <laughs> hours in that thing is, uh, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, cold, by the way, as well. Yeah, very cold. Yeah, that was uh, manual de-ice then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. credit card outside yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Old school, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so R- Richard King in the chat room, uh, Stephen, he's kind of asked a, a, a question of, of the, the route that you took to get to the right seat. So obviously you started off um, with your, you getting your private pilot's yeah. license, and then from there?
3: So I um, I got my private license first, bought the 150, did some time building in it, and then rented a 172 from a flight school and did my instrument reading in it. Um, and then I took like a year building more time working on a commercial with the Mooney and then from that point um, I actually wasn't really going to transition to the right seat because I had a really good job at the time and I really enjoyed flying GA and was actually looking at getting a twin and not to go in the commercial route at all but life happens decided to go the commercial route so finished that out and then started the survey gig um, and then um, about when I was 400 hours off of my um, ATP time, I started studying for the test and studying for the interview, and um, had a job offer by um, May of last year. Then I started class in August. So,
0: well, how long was it from when you when you joined Acme Junior, f- from when you joined to when you sat in that right seat?
3: Uh, right at six months. That's that's including finishing out building my time and then all the testing and stuff to get to the point of that training.
0: How difficult was that, that testing? At, uh...
3: Well, I mean, the A- ATP test back in the States is nothing compared to what y'all have over here with ATP. I don't even understand the frozen, unfrozen thing, but, you know, it's, it's only one test. I believe y'all have 15. So in that aspect, it's not as difficult. But the actual training is, I mean... For me, I've I've never flown a jet. Um, I I understand how a jet works, how airlines work, because I've been a flight attendant, I've worked the ground crew before, have all that piece, but the actual flying the jet part and working with the guy that's in the seat next to you, that part was a difficult learning curve. Um, Mostly because I've done everything flying on my own, so you're wanting to change the automation yourself, program the box yourself, Getting used to getting the other guy to do it or, you know, work, you know, CRM type stuff, that was challenging. And then all the different um, ops specs and SOPM stuff that the rules you have to work on or work under, um, understanding those and applying them to your knowledge you already have of flying and then expanding that knowledge and applying it to fly the jet.
0: Do you think, because we obviously talked to a lot of uh, listeners who might have been... Uh, flight attendants and want to go on to progress to become a pilot do you think that being uh having that job as a flight attendant or cabin crew helped from that move into the right seat
3: it helps you in the way that you have a better understanding of what's going on behind you um i've had a couple of captains that are i feel like they're disconnected with what you know is going on back there um Prime example: I was stuck in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. The fuel truck had broke at the airport, and um, <laughs> we didn't have enough gas really to run the APU because we just came in from from Chicago. So, um, they had already we had already boarded the plane and everything, and you know the captain's like, oh, we'll just wait and see what they want to do. And I'm sitting there looking at the fuel, and then it's snowing outside. It's cold. Um, I was like, well, why don't we do this that? And I just kept suggesting stuff, and he was just you know, let's just wait and see, wait and see. I was like, well, there's people in the back that are cold because we can't, can't close the door yet and we only have so much gas before we can't do anything with the airplane at all and they didn't have a uh, tow vehicle there because of where we were at. It's very remote. So, um, finally, we, I convinced them, you know, let's, you know, the plane is okay, yeah, it's probably gonna be a while after we, you know, talked with the fuelers a couple times and it turned out we ended up, um, Taxing the plane over to the fuel tank itself and plug into the feed from there to get it gassed up and everything. But that's besides the point, but just when situations come up, having a better understanding what the flight attendant's dealing with and applying what you know so they don't get in a worse situation there than they already are, that type of thing.
0: So an important question that um, we often pick up on, in the, uh, in the, on the show is are you one of these pilots who, who'd like to give the people in the back an idea of what's going on in and around while you're flying, or, or would you rather just com- completely keep the comms off until you you know?
3: It, it, it's, every captain's different, but I've had a couple that we've, like, we are short of the gate or we've had a mechanical issue, and they're talking to operations or somebody. They're like, hey, let the people in the back know, and I'm just like, well, do I really want to let them know what's going on? Do I know? Do I not? I mean, um my first trip in the nine hundred, uh, which was my training flight, we're taxiing out to the runway. We get a message, so we pull off, you know. And he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna call the mechanics and see what we can do with this and everything." And uh, he's like, "Just tell him what's going on." I was like, "I don't need to tell him exactly." He's like, oh no, no, no! Don't do that. <laughs> so just, just step like, up. You, you got you. So. Um, uh,
1: speaking as a. a <laughs> i quite well known for being a relatively nervous flyer. I mean, the minute I hear uh, somebody uh, in the, you know, in the front of the plane, sitting there going, oh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, uh, apologies for the delay, we are experiencing a few technical problems at the moment, I mean, my arse would be off that seat, uh, trying to get out of the fire, you know, like like so fast, it's just... The, uh, the
0: maintenance know. engineers are attempting yeah. to glue <laughs> the engine yeah, back absolutely. on. Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, 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 somebody's putting some gaffer tape over something important. Uh, I, I, but do you know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I get. In, I suppose you, you want some information because it's clear that you haven't taken off the time of you were supposed to. I mean, Carlos is the exact opposite. Armando, I dare say, you're exactly the same. <laughs> where you want as much information as can be possibly thrown at you, as where old scaredy pants over here is just like. The, I want all the. I don't want to details. know. I don't want to know. Toilets, just, you know leaks. You know. Just, just tell me it's because you're waiting for the toilet to be mended or yeah. something, and then I can live with it. You know, it's just like.
3: Yeah. Well. No, so the nickname for my airplane's the uh, Canadian Reset Jet.
1: Right. So, because
3: <laughs> most of the issues that we have, you can reset something and it fixes itself. Uh, is it
1: made by Microsoft? <laughs> funny enough, uh, oh no,
3: <laughs> the the flight data computer is DOS based. Oh, please be kidding!
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm, oh, good I'm, I'm, I'm very dog. serious.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm no computer geek, but even I know what that is. Yeah, I know. Wow, this is not
1: great uh, <laughs> a- anyway. Actually, uh,
0: Amanda, we've got a, a question from Richard King, haven't we, in the chat room?
2: Yeah, uh, and I was kind of wondering this myself. Any scary moments during the survey work, or really any other flying?
4: Um, well, so with the survey, probably the scariest moment I did. Um, we were there were five of us working the same grid, and we had our own frequency we talked to. Then we talked to ATC for just spacing depending on where we're at, and um, we were. We knew the lines were getting closer to one another, and me and the guy I was paired up with, you know, we're talking back and forth saying which line we're on. And he's like, Hey, you're on line 12, right? And I'm like, Yeah, which one are you on? He's like, 13. And we start doing the math in our head, and we're like, Oh, this isn't good. And then the controller goes, Hey, you've got uh, company traffic two miles, same altitude. And we're like, <laughs> he's like do you have the traffic in sight now I, I I see the dot and I'm like yeah I got him in sight and then he calls my buddy he's like you got the traffic in sight yeah and then we just do the pass and we're quarter mile maybe <laughs> same oh, altitude it,
3: but, but you know it, you, you're talking to the guy you know where you're at so I mean it wasn't as scary <laughs> but I mean just one of those God, imagine,
0: imagine if you had TCAS systems in there at the time
3: yeah, Have you gone crazy? And, and you know that's that's my next. I had my first TCAST cast event last week. Oh wow! I'm, I'm not gonna get into it too much, but um, it was had an RA and it was a bad situation. The controller got us slammed down, mm-hmm. then put us right on wow. top of the guy. So
5: yeah, Whew.
3: a little, little bit more scary when you got people in the back. So.
5: Exactly, yeah. Uh,
1: uh, the main main mic is actually saying, oh, come on, Stephen, the scariest moment in your survey work was when you had to be a passenger in my car. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: it wasn't that bad. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Indeed. Well, look, boys and girls, uh, I'm really sorry, but it is time to start wrapping up, so... Uh, yeah I, well Stephen thank you it's I can't believe awesome, that I you know. actually sat in this studio I mean it's I can't believe you been mauled by my savage Rottweiler of a dog obviously <laughs> uh, and uh, well, well it's just been such a such a privilege to have you uh, in the building as it were
0: can you believe it? we had Stephen Ivy sitting here now Oh right? I know yeah. I know our first guest from the US to sit in the studio
1: I wonder Armando's been here yep yeah. Well, yeah armando. but i live here yeah he, live <laughs> he lives in the uk well only yeah. for a little while but yeah, least, I know, like, yeah absolutely we're about to lose him yeah he's going home to his plus
0: Arman- armando is an officially a host you see well that's true yes. yes all right maybe that yes. doesn't
1: count yeah okay yeah.
3: but uh yeah but no
0: thanks very much Stephen, for coming yeah. in it's been awesome yeah see thank you
3: this is uh been eye-opening what goes on to get the show going <laughs> yeah
5: yeah, yes. sometimes ignorance is bliss, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, not knowing that's, what that's the on thing.
0: Stephen got to see what happened in here before Matt pushed the go live button. Yeah, usually a lot of swearing, yeah.
1: if I'm honest, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's all part of the because nothing's hey, working. Carlos,
2: there's one more question. Right? Oh, oh, go
0: on, you better ask that one, Armando. What do you, you know what that oh, one yeah. is? Oh, oh, the most oh, important, oh, yeah. Uh,
1: Tony S says, Hey, you didn't ask the most right. Are you ready for most this? Important question. Well,
2: the chat room is gone wild. Oh, is asking. it? Oh, okay, all right,
1: yeah, yeah, go on then.
2: So, Mr. Stephen Ivy, yes, yes, if you could fly any aircraft, current or past, what would it be? Probably the F-14. Probably oh, the F-14. bring back the Tomcat! Said yes. somebody. Tomcat.
4: You know, I make I, I make I the joke occasionally uh. when people, you know, in the U.S. pay this whole like, "what do you identify as" thing. You know, I I tell them identify as an F-14. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't, awesome. even, I, I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Somebody explain that? It I, <laughs> doesn't take a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, the. well, as I say, well... Top, what, top it, Gun. Yeah. Oh, oh. okay, I have seen that now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Matt's seen yeah. that film. Yeah, I have actually seen it. I oh, 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 hold on, hold on, Stephen. Richard King says, Maverick or Iceman?
3: Oh, oh. Can I, can I be a Goose.
1: Yeah. I mean. uh, I, see what, I see what you did there. Like <laughs> just just cuz yeah, well I don't, I don't really <laughs> want to be Valkyrie or Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a damning
5: indictment. Yeah.
3: Oh, dogma. so that is where we yeah. are going and to wrap that up. That
0: bombshell this yes. week's show. So we're going to say a massive thanks to everyone who has joined us in the YouTube live chat room this evening. Don't forget for those of you who download the show as an audio version Thanks for doing that, but don't forget to catch us on the live shows every week. Normally on a Friday we go live at 7pm and uh, watch the show and join in in the chat room because the chat room tonight has been awesome, as it always. Has. And uh, all the usual oh, family look, I members. I,
1: I've I screwed up the, uh, the, the visuals on mine. Look, I've chopped my arm off. <laughs> oh well,
0: not to worry. Never mind. There could be worse it's things. very happen. painful. It's and really uh, also Wouldn't we're going to say a big here. thanks to Armando, <laughs> who's back this week with us. Thanks uh, for coming on with us again, Armando. Always awesome. good to see thank,
2: you. Thank you guys for having me on, as usual.
1: Fantastic. And that's it. That, that is where we bring the show to a close. So we'll see you uh, next week. I think it's uh, uh, the show next week is next Saturday evening again. That's because... Uh, with me will be another very special guest, and, and I'm travelling all the way to Nottingham to go and see them.
0: So, uh, and I shall be sitting there. in this seat. This is going, going there is What do I
1: press? Is, <laughs> yeah, how does this work? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of phone calls to Nev, I think, before I get here. Nev, but, what uh, button do I yeah, press? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, if you've got any sense, make sure you're here to watch that because it is going to be absolutely. Yeah hilarious so um i've just remembered i've forgotten to do something so keep chatting for a brief moment ladies and gentlemen uh, <laughs> i'm doing it as quick as i can there we are oh, that wasn't too bad I've so done. that is where yeah. we're going to bring yeah.
0: episode number 255 of the plain talking uk podcast to a close big thanks again to everyone who's joined us tonight thanks to all the hosts and guest hosts and don't forget to join us again next weekend on saturday night yep. for episode 256 have a great weekend Fly safe, stay safe, whatever you're doing, and enjoy stay yourselves. Stay out of the wind, boys and girls. Stay, oh, out wind, stay out of the wind, because Storm Bob is going to be a Storm basher. Bob. Eric. <laughs> Eric, it, sorry, Eric. Eric. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway, take care, everyone. Take care, everyone. We'll everyone. see you next week. Bye-bye.